Hey, I'm impressed. Hey, Vasquez. Have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? <laughs> oh, Vasquez. <Ow. laughs> it is too bad. I only need to know one thing. Where they are. Joe Vasquez, kick ass. Anytime, anywhere. Right, right. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. Fuck you, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to D&J's Epic Side Quests. I'm Justin, and this is Derek. How are you doing tonight? Not too shabby. Um, I don't know. Just feels like a bland another Monday. You know, nothing really thrilling to report on. Just yeah. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, we had a little bit of excitement today. I don't know about your kids, but ours didn't have school today. I don't know if it was end of quarter or what, but um, about three thirty. Get a call from the kids saying that there's water in the basement. What? Um, yeah. Oh, Luckily, no. it was nothing. Nothing major. Just the pipe for the sump pump, like came loose or something, and sprayed some water all over. So, got her under control. But if thoughts running through your head that it's a lot worse than what it is, and yeah. So, is that something yeah. that you just like knew how to do, or? Uh, Kelly actually took care of it before I got home because she got home before me. So yeah, I just had to push it back together basically. Got it. Well, it didn't, it didn't come apart all the way. It was just enough. So when it ran, it just shot out everywhere. Hmm. Well, I'm glad that it wasn't anything more serious. Been there and done that. So I don't, I'm not eager to do it again. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. It's really crazy. Cause like we, we've had the heat off for almost a week and a half now. And it's hot as balls in this house. So, like, I don't know if the thermostat isn't working or if it is. And we just, for whatever reason, generate heat from the neighbors. I don't know. Hmm. It's, it's fucking crazy. I'll take it, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess I wouldn't complain then either. I mean, I, you know, I mean, to be fair, it hasn't been as harsh of a winter as it could be. But, you know, uh, yeah. It, it's just i don't know it's nice i don't have to run my fucking heat every day yeah that's true but yeah i i, I don't know i guess nothing real real special to report on nothing major yeah i'm kind of right there with you so yeah should we kick off the second half ish part of our aliens vasquez book here let's do it all right um i believe i go right yes are we gonna keep video on or are we gonna shut that off we shut it off. We don't. I don't think that. Uh, should we do our patron shout out? We'll do it twice. Sure. Yeah. Sure. We'll do, do it twice. Do, do you want to take that? Yeah. Yeah. I can do that. All right. I can take it at the end, maybe. Yeah. We each do one. I guess outside of uh, maybe some some slower life events, we do have some very good news to share, and that is we have two patrons now, and we couldn't be any more pleased. So thank you uh luciana please correct me if we are saying that wrong and jan thank you so much again for all that you are doing yeah it is really cool and especially that i I never would have thought that we would have people literally around the world listening to us so it is it is cool and it is very exciting right a couple of goobers podcasting about books (laughs) 
I thought you were calling them goobers at first, and then no. I realized you meant us. So. Yeah, we're the yeah. goobers. No, definitely, definitely. They're great. They're great. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I guess outside of that, let's, uh, let's keep on rolling. All right. Dr. Moon is surprised when Dr. Patel informs her of some changes. Dr. Patel doesn't seem to be affected as much as Dr. Moon is by this decision slash change. Moon questions what the hell they are doing because this was her gig. Dr. Patel, unable to argue, says it's time to go anyway, and whether we like it or not, it's happening. They leave the office and take an elevator down to the lower facilities. Lab 10 wasn't far from the elevator. A huge room with one layer of glass was the only thing to act as a barricade. Inside the room, three synthetics stood observing two human bodies, one male and one female. Moon wiped, whipped out her tablet to see what she could make out of the two human subjects. On the inside of the male, it appeared that the cardiovascular system was overgrown with black tangle of vines. Slime seeped from every orifice. The parasites had eaten through most of the flesh, leaving nothing but skin and bone. The female, on the other hand, appeared perfectly normal. Her belly rippled and, though unconscious, her hand came down to rest on her stomach. Moon asked what was inside of her. Dr. Patel explains that the synths suggested that the female body could hold the xenocytes for longer. Dr. Moon clenches her jaw and thinks to herself that she would have to pay for this and dreads the day for when she would have to make a choice between right and wrong. It is year 2190, and Ramon has grown into a handsome young adult with perfectly straight smile. Being smartest and best looking was always a place especially in a place with people who had more money than him. Whenever he passed a watch shop, he promised himself one day that he would have a Rolex and a Porsche. The Vasquez name would carry weight. Ramon sat in the auditorium with his neighbor from across the hall. As class was about to start, a beautiful woman by the name of Mary Ann Kramer caught both of their attention. Luke, the neighbor, simped harder for Mary Ann than Ramon did. Mary Ann ended up two seats away from Ramon, Deciding he wanted to know more, he set his water bottle on the desk between them. When the class was over and he got up, he heard her say that he was forgetting something. After a few introductory sentences, he left, leaving her wanting more. The next week, she ended up sitting next to Ramon in class. A couple weeks had passed and Ramon asked her for a coffee date. Things went well and afterwards, he felt like he was in a good spot to pursue Mary Ann and was confident that he would succeed. Julia Utani entered a modern history class and instantly captivated Ramon. She was completely the opposite of Marianne, and unlike Marianne, it took a while for Julia and him to reach the next level of their relationship. He was determined to have both, each of them playing a role in his life, a plan that included money and power. After the semester was over, Julia had a party uh, in her two-bedroom apartment, and before it got too late, she kicked everyone out except for Ramon, using the excuse she needed to help, needed help cleaning. They got busy. They had sex, Derek. The following day, he, he felt guilty because he had many missed texts from Marianne. He left, he felt perplexed between the two. Marianne was the one who could play house with him, but Julia was every bit his equal. She had also invited him to join her on her family's yacht, yacht in a couple of weeks. 
Ramon and Julia boarded the boat, and a man named Benjamin Ross introduced himself and handed Ramon a beer. Benjamin, in his introduction, had said that Ramon was the star of Harvard. Wondering where or why he had said this, he asked Benjamin where he heard that. Benjamin explains that he and Julia did some digging and asked Ramon's professors about him. Benjamin offers him a cigar, to which Ramon happily accepts. Benjamin starts to talk about the company and how Julia loosely works for it. After some banter between Julia and Ross, Ross gets into explaining about a project that he needs an extra pair of eyes on and some help coming up with a strategy. And because he's heard that whatever Ramon puts his mind to, it ends up being the best. Ramon suspects because he'll come cheap he's, and he's still in school. Ross goes on to explain the project and how he needs someone to take all the parts of the bioweaponry project and put it all together. Ross assures Ramon that it isn't just a temporary thing, and this will likely require his lifetime and requires loyalty. He explains that Julia had been tasked with keeping an eye on bright students, and Ramon definitely caught her eye, so much that they did a bunch of digging. They had found the system that Ramon had created in high school to scam rich kids out of their money and good for good grades. Ross continues on to say that people like and trust Ramon, Ross seems confident that Ramon is perfect for the job. Would it be a cakewalk? Probably not. Ramon was in a state of surrealism. He couldn't believe it. He was, he has some more questions for Ross. Ross explains that he can't really talk about it here and schedules for some paperwork. And then Ramon can read it over and they can meet on Monday. Julia cuts in and says enough talking about work and who needs another drink. As the day roars on, Ramon tells Julia that he could get used to this. Julia tells him that she is looking for a partner, not to marry or have kids with. This appeals to Ramon. Woofta, what a heavy, what a heavy one. It was long. I was not expecting any of that uh, when I first wrote these summaries because the last time we recorded the first half of this book, uh, everything went by so quick. Yeah, it definitely got a little bit more dense. Yeah, yes, it did. Which is good. Well, what did you think of these, uh, these, you know, this male and this female that are infected? I, I thought it was curious, and I'm assuming that this has something to do with the decision slash change that uh, Doctor Patel is telling Doctor Moon in the beginning, because. I'm assuming, based on the way that this chapter went, is that Bob Ross, Benjamin Ross, excuse me. Sorry. No happy little accidents here. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, yeah, these are intentional little accidents. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I got the I got the feeling that Benjamin Ross is is playing around with some stuff and uh more than likely trying to get well recruit Ramon. So I'm assuming that this is what the changes they are talking about. I feel like the man and woman experiments here are related to the decision slash change that Dr. Patel was informing Dr. Moon of, which I think is being on the back end manipulated by Benjamin Ross, in short, if that makes sense. I gotcha. What about you? Uh, I mean, I think it sucks to be either one of them, uh -huh. the guy or the woman. Uh, I guess maybe I'd rather be the one who's going to die quicker <laughs> if I had a choice, but both sound pretty miserable. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm wondering if I totally forgot my train of thought. Never mind. It'll come back to you. Oh, there we go. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it also shows us the reader that, uh, they're not really taking care of 
Like, it seems like, hey, let's just experiment for the sake of experimentation, you know? But Yeah, thought, it's like, what kind of fucked up thing can we do? Right, yeah. So I think that they're just, they're playing around with every little variable that they can um, and just kind of completely disregarding human life. Which is something you see a lot of uh, with Wayland yutani Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, I mean, it's not exactly a surprise, but it's, I guess, just kind of this level of it seems pretty graphic i guess yeah i mean it just kind of sounds like that the powers that um are currently there are you know like different group of scientists are being replaced you know i just i find it funny that dr patel is thankful uh or you know during this part she expresses thanks because now it doesn't have to be her and her team dealing with the xenos uh, but Moon, on the other hand, reacting the way that she does, tells us she is not confident that this new team uh, being able to uphold the carefulness she's perpetuated, you know? So I guess being ignorant, I can see Dr. Patel's point of view. But at the end of the day, Brenda Moon is, you know, there's definitely some foreshadowing here. Yeah, things things are going to be bad. Right, right. Because they're just, they're not respecting these creatures you know is kind of in essence what i'm gathering yeah but I mean, even if they were though i mean i don't think it matters whether you you respect them something's still gonna happen eventually right. i mean it's, uh, which one was trying to be careful dr moon yes it's just inevitable that something's gonna happen no matter what precautions she's gonna take right it's just gonna maybe it's just gonna take a little longer but I, I don't I don't know. There's not a not really a way you can deal with these things and not have something bad happen. Right. It's, it's just not how they operate. Yeah, and it's a lesson that Wayland Yutani doesn't seem to ever get. No, no. No, it's just how do we make these a weapon? How do we make these a weapon? That's basically kind of what it is over and over again. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, like them wanting to recruit Ramon and all of his genius, right? Like you can kind of see where maybe people get a little too confident, you know, especially as we kind of keep going, you know, more and more of that comes to fruition a little bit. Um, I really liked the parasites kind of idea. They, it's just a combination of a very common orc tapeworm that could be found on Earth and xenomorphs xenomorph dna so i could just imagine these like little xeno tapeworms just you know making their way through the body you know it, it was an interesting idea but not a very comforting one no not at all especially when we learn out what their purpose was yeah yeah not uh yeah who wouldn't want to be on the the other end of them no um what did you think of Ramon being a little selfish here with his ladies? Uh, I mean, you just know it isn't going to work. <laughs> right. Because when you got one problem, why get more? <laughs> exactly. He's just doubling the amount of trouble he's going to have. Yeah. Well, I thought it was funny in this chapter, he makes a statement uh, when he's kind of like thinking or we're reading about his thoughts on Marianne. He was like, he doesn't want to be the husband of a Kramer. He wants a wife of Vasquez, someone to bear his children. So I don't necessarily think that he's 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 looking for love here. I think he's just it kind of seems like he's looking for someone to do all the work. You know, I didn't I mean? really think about it that way, but that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was I was pretty surprised to see him. Like I guess I wasn't expecting him to 
go after two women basically yeah i wasn't either because in all of the uh, you know chapters that we summarized in the you know part one he doesn't really you don't really get that type of impression from him you know very book smart kind of like shy and quiet you know kind of sticks to himself is how i remember him being described in the earlier chapters so yeah i wasn't really expecting uh any of that either right Another thing that I found uh, interesting is that when in Benjamin Ross's and Ramon's introduction, uh, Ramon pretty much like instantly judges Ross and pretends to play dumb a little bit or coy. And he has the thought bullshit a bullshitter. And I think it was interesting to see how smart he was and but not with just education, but with people, too. You know what I mean? Like. He totally played Ross. He underplayed himself. Yeah, it's he, he's kind of a, he's I don't know I don't know what to think about Ramon sometimes because he's he tries to be all street smart and stuff and he is but then like why would you think it's a good idea to hide one girlfriend from another like you just completely fail on the same side of things I don't know and right. he, I mean I guess he pulls he pulls it off for a while or maybe doesn't even pull it off but maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, he's complicated. He's complicated, I guess. I think he's just kind of like one of those phrases, like you're too smart for your own good. It kind of instantly comes to mind, you know? So Yeah, that fits. That fits. Um, but yeah, I guess going back to the kind of juggling act that he's doing between two women as far as courting them at this point, it appeals to him. But on the inside he's debating between having a family and instantly thinks of Marianne and that all she wanted was his love and attention. I find this contrast of women interesting. It's like he's trying to give the Vasquez a legacy, but doesn't know which path to choose. Yeah, it was interesting because they're they're so different from each other, right? I mean, they are complete, complete opposite. Right. But, you know, maybe he's just, he's just simply drawn to power, you know? I mean, he Very meets well Julia and she's already having elaborate parties and they are, uh, you know, being introduced to high level executives for Wayland yutani Just getting his foot in the door quick. Right. But yeah, I guess those were really my only thoughts for, for chapter one there. Um, yeah. Nice contrast between the beginning of the book. Definitely, definitely things get denser and uh, things, things pick up. I guess uh, maybe we should have mentioned this at the beginning. You said chapter one. Um, oh, chapter, yeah, we're, 12. chapter 12. Yeah, we'll be covering chapter 12 through through the end of the book. So um, I guess just so nobody's confused. No, that's fair. But, that's uh, it's our first two parter. So <laughs> instinct took yeah, over. <laughs> I said chapter one. Well, I just I happened to be looking at the word chapter 12 when he said that. So I was like, oh, I did live and learn. One of those things we just got to deal with, I guess. Fair enough. Yeah, cool. Well, um, I guess you want to take it to the next chapter here. Sure. Monday morning, Ramon had taken the bullet train from Boston to Manhattan to the Wayland yutani offices to meet Benjamin Ross. As Ramon exited on the 20th floor, Ross was waiting and asked if he was ready. Ramon said yes and asked if he was being put to work already. Ross said no, not yet, as he needed to know what he was getting into first. Ramon was confused, but he wouldn't let Ross know. He figured Julia knew, but any time he tried to get info, she just dodged the question. Ross said to follow him, and they walked down a hallway. Finally, they reached a security door. As they cleared security, a door opened that was two feet thick. 
They entered the room and Ross said since the non-disclosure agreement was signed, he could show him what he would live and breathe from now on if he had the cojones. Ramon looked into a monitor, looking in disbelief at what he could only describe as a nightmare. Ramon wanted to know what he was looking at, and more importantly, where was this thing? On Earth? Ross said they were called xenomorphs. This one they named La Reina, and she was a five-year cryo trip away on a planet Meredith Vickers had started to make habitable. It was a hidden planet off everyone's radar, and it had a small research facility on it. Ramon was immobilized by the shiny black monster he saw on the screen. He looked at it, with its limbs cut off, it was still a fearsome beast, and he felt like it was aware. Ramon asked what the purpose, what purpose this thing could serve. On top of that, what use would he be? He wasn't a scientist after all. He turned to Ross and saw him storing some cocaine. He asked Ramon if he wanted some, and he declined, not wanting to put his greatest asset, his mind, at risk. Ross answered his question as to why, as to why him. Ross said because he is brilliant and a boss. He doesn't take shit and doesn't let shit get in the way. As for his purpose, well, people don't care about guns and missiles being made or traded, but bio-warfare scares the hell out of people. They need a long-term plan. They're selling to whoever the highest bidder is, and that is why he is there. Ramon thought he would be able to take Ross's job no problem. His recreational drug use and constant partying would take him out of the picture without issue. He looked back to the monitor and saw the monster laying an egg. He struggled to make sense of what he was seeing, asking what they were doing here and what the value in it was. Ross told him he needs to read all the science crap. He needs to figure out a way to make money off these things and to think and dream big. Focus on the bioweapons program. That's where the money is at. He told Ramon he has access to everything. He tells him that Julia made sure of it anyways. She gets what she wants, even if she has to wait a little bit, but to trust him, she doesn't like to wait. Ramon said he needed a whiteboard. He understood it might be hard to find, but that's how he worked. He used it for new ideas and the like. Ross lit up, and that's the reaction Ramon was hoping for. Ross said he would check the supply list. Ramon added another item. He wanted a bonus, like a signing bonus, enough to cover the remainder of his aunt's house, paid by midnight that night. Ramon also told him that he still planned on getting his MBA. It would take time, but he would do what he could when he could. Ross told him to forget about to forget about it. Working for them, he wouldn't need an MBA. He would also get his own apartment owned by Wayland Yutani. This, Ramon thought, would be a problem. He said he can't be in the same place as Julia. Ross said he could still have both of them in different places. Ross gave him an overview of the program and told him to study it and left him. He looked back to La Reina and thought how unnatural it was and wondered what happened to its arms and legs. He knew then he needed to know everything about the creature, and he hoped to never meet it face to face. A short time later, Ross returned with a whiteboard and markers. Later in the day, Ross returned carrying two whiskey glasses. The whiteboard was already full. He asked Ramon how the first day had been going. He replied it had been going well. He just didn't know how he would get his schoolwork done. There was an overload of information. He hadn't even gotten to the weapons program yet. He knew with the right moves, they'd be rich, and the wrong ones would ruin their lives. He said he needed to go. He was meeting Julia for a birthday dinner. Ross said to have a good time, and by the way, something. sometime he'd have to introduce him to his sister. Huh. Making a pass, he said she was sexy. Ramon thought there was no way in hell Letitia would entertain that idea. He knew she was out of his league and thought he was a parasite. The remainder, the remainder, that reminded him of what he had read. They were developing some pretty terrible things with xenoparasites. 
could be used on water systems, silent coercion, or quote, isolated displays of force. All his new access, he decided he was going to see what he could find out about his mother and have Julia pull strings if needed. He met her at the bar and she looked perfect as usual. They sat at their reserve table and Julia gave him a gift, which threw him off as it was her birthday, not his. It was a Rolex. He said it was too much and secretly he was a little mad as he wanted to buy one on his own. She said it was nothing, and besides, he needed to look the part. Ramon said he didn't bring her gift with him on the train. She said, just pay for dinner. She cut to the chase and said Lorena was the queen, wasn't she? He said she was the only one he trusted with what he thought. She pressed him and asked. Ramon said Lorena was, quote, checkmate. Julia agreed and said they had to play their cards right. So another pretty beefy chapter there. Yeah. Yeah, very beefy. And it just, I don't know, it kind of just goes back to what I said earlier. Uh, you know, Ramon already thinks that he's better than Ross, which he probably is. And he knows it. That's the dangerous part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's just, I, I, I guess I don't really know what he's <laughs> thinking. I, I mean, he's he's just getting in over his head. Well, right. And kind I mean, of in, in all aspects, I think, but. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it was interesting that he fucking lost my train of thought again. What the hell is going on? You're losing um, your train of thought. I'm losing my space on the page. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like it had something to do with Ramon. Um, oh, yeah, here it is. I mean, who, I guess, I think it takes a special kind of fucked up to, you know, look at this decapitated xenomorph queen and not think twice about it. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't seem to have one hesitation at all. The only hesitation he has is if he can make it work. Like, don't you I think mean, that's a bit backwards? Uh, Not necessarily. I mean, if I knew it was on a different planet and I was never going to be face-to-face with it, then then what the hell? You know, like, I mean, if I had to go beyond the planet with that thing, then yeah, I definitely have reservations. But if I'm on earth and I know there's no plans of ever bringing it to earth, anything like that, which I mean, we know isn't really the case um, in the alien universe, but right. uh, then I would, I wouldn't have any reservations, I guess, because it's just kind of, I'm not, I don't know the phrase I'm thinking of, but it's just basically it's somebody else's problem. You're just pulling the strings, you know, and just watch the money roll in. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you make a good point. You make a good point. But I mean, seeing it like, and that's where kind of where I, I think that way. Cause he sees it and he's like, okay, well, where the hell is this thing? Oh, it's somewhere else. Okay. I can breathe. We're fine. But if he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's 30 floors under this building. Then, then I'm probably having different thoughts. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, did you get the sense in this chapter that he was able to get things up and running fairly quickly? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I admire Ramon for his his intellect, um, but that's pretty much about it. I really the, the the more the deeper we get into this book, the more and more I just felt like Ramon was Burke from the Aliens movie. It's just I kept getting that comparison in my head. They felt very similar to me. Who is Burke again? Burke is the company guy that convinces Ripley to go back out to the planet. Oh yeah. Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he goes out. I mean, he goes out to the planet too, but. Yeah. Gotcha. The guy with the cool looking hair. Yeah. Uh, sh- sure. Yeah. That like. If you, th- if you think so. <laughs> that like pompadour type look. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe it was cool in the 80s. Uh-huh. I don't know about now. I didn't really have much hair in the 80s. So, um, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> 
Um, when they were talking about the planet that the queen was on and they were talking about a planet that Meredith Vickers had started to make habitable, I, I, I started wondering right away if that was the planet from Prometheus. Um, yeah. But then I know she died there, so I, I don't think it was that planet. It must be a different one. I'm I don't guessing know if you would. Too, but I thought that as well, though. Like when I read that, I thought that they were talking about um yeah the the planet that meredith vickers and every and you know the whole crew with on with prometheus i mean i think that would be cool i mean just because she died there doesn't mean that it it wasn't terraformed yeah but i mean that wasn't really what they were going out there for though yeah that's true so i'm assuming it's probably a planet that uh meredith vickers found prior to her trip to or on prometheus yeah, that, I think that makes sense. I hadn't really thought that deep about it that far, but it seems to make the most sense. Yeah. I mean, there's it's, there's possibility. I mean, she may there may have been like a a very quick word or something that she said in the Prometheus movie that, you know, the author may be pulled from um that I'm just not remembering. And I uh speaking of the author, I I think that there's a lot of really cool shit that she throws in there um so i it wouldn't put it past it wouldn't put it past her that this is maybe something she got from the movie i could totally see that being something that she could pull from i'm trying to think back to that movie and it's it's certainly not like i know it word for word but right i guess i I feel a little bit of the opposite i i think maybe just something that she made for the book i guess made for the narrative but i mean it's very possible you're right that there was something that she pulled from the movie um I, I don't know. I thought it was a nice little uh, homage to because, like, when you hear the name Meredith Vickers, you know, if you've seen Prometheus, like, you know, you're ex- instantly it's an instantly recognizable name. Yeah, it's it's. I think it. I like having these like a, a tie-in without it being so much. Kind of like a a book's way of having a cameo. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Yeah. It's just it's not. Oh, I guess over the top. I don't, I don't know. I'm not very good with words tonight. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's Monday. It is totally a Monday. Definitely a Monday. Yeah. Um, the other thing, when I read it, I kind of had to read it twice because it didn't make sense right away in my head was when Ross is telling him about how he's going to, he can have his own apartment, but it's owned by Waylon Yutani. And he's like, oh no, that's not going to be good. And Ross is like, you can still have both of them in different places. Like I didn't, it didn't click in my head that he's talking about marianne and julia yeah it kind of sounds like uh it was a very subtle way of of telling us that ramon had made up his mind that he was going to try to have both right but hey you know i mean i guess you want to juggle this hardcore job as well as like the attention and affection of of two different women and you know it's it's funny because uh my partner danny you know she's She's had some some experiences with some douchebags that were unfaithful to her. And one of the things that I always remember about some of the ways that she kind of like got suspicious was uh, one of her exes used like pet names for all of the women he was seeing. And he accidentally called her a different pet name. And that was when she started to get like, that was one of the things that made her get suspicious. So it's just like, keeping all of that in in your mind you know on a perfected level on top of the job the high stressful job he was doing like i I don't i don't know i don't see how he would do that yeah it's want to yeah it's it's more trouble than it's worth 
Yeah. Nothing exactly. nothing good is going to come out of that. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Yeah. But we also get some kind of insight as to some of the things that they're developing the parasites for, which I thought was really fucked up. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, yeah, it's nasty, but it's pretty smart. I mean, if you put these things in the water supply, I mean, that's, everybody needs water. It's a pretty good way to control the population. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just willy nilly selling them to the highest bidder. So yeah, this isn't their main attraction though. The the parasites are definitely just uh, something that they are working on. Um, but I think the whole checkmate conversation between Ramon and Julia saying that Lorena was checkmate is basically they're insinuating that <clears throat> if they can get the queen to do what they want her to do on a consistent level, then that is going to be the moneymaker is what I'm pulling out of that conversation. I kind of thought that, I guess, you know, the, the queen and laying the eggs was kind of the what they're after i mean you got the queen she's making eggs you can just keep selling the eggs i suppose i guess yeah well i didn't even think of that like more of a production standpoint right like the eggs are the asset but right if, if they were to sell a queen then they would have whoever they sold it to would have unlimited supply of eggs yeah well, well yeah they had three of them so i don't know if they're gonna get rid of them i wouldn't get rid of them if i was in in those shoes no yeah that's fair but yeah i don't know i thought that this section was i felt like it was a lot of battling of of intellect and egos and you know power trips and yeah yeah you can see the gears really starting to turn in their heads Mm -hmm. yeah and ramon is just so blinded by i think his ultimate goal is to give vasquez a name right i think so yeah I guess it's hard as a reader because I'm like, I just want to jump into the pages and slap him and be like, no. <laughs> like you're doing this wrong, you You're idiot. doing it the wrong way, you know? Like this is not the way. I guess outside of that, I didn't I didn't really have a ton of, of comments for this particular chapter. I just I thought that it was it was set up y, you know, very set up y. Yeah. I, I agree. I didn't I didn't have much else here either. All right. Well, should we move on? Take it away. Ramon arrived looking pale, but definitely put on some pounds of muscle. Letitia grabbed his arm and said that she's got some competition now. He takes his arm back and tells her that she'll get no competition from him. He tells her enough about him. What about her? How are the special or how did the special ops go and how she how does she plan on getting in? Letitia found these questions suspicious. Letitia explains that she's going to make it through and that if she gets accepted into the Raiders, she'll go on any mission they ask her to. Ramon nods at this and gives her encouragement. He explains that they haven't always been close, but they aren't kids anymore. And well, it's uncertain what the future could hold for us. Letitia thanks her brother for the compliments and tells him that even if she did know, she wouldn't be able to tell him anyway, as it was all hush-hush. Ramon understands where Letitia's coming from and acknowledges this. He begins to explain to her that he missed being home and that he's just trying to be a better brother. They are familia, and if she's ever needed anything, to just ask. Letitia says that they'll cross that bridge when they get there. Ramon agrees and tells Letitia that they should, they should find Rosanna because he has a surprise for her. Before she could say anything, he dashed through the house. Letitia could hear Rosanna crying in the living room. 
When Leticia enters, Rosanna asks her if she knows what Ramon did. Leticia says no, and Rosanna begins to explain that with Ramon's big fancy freelancer gig, he paid off the mortgage on the house. Leticia tells her Tia that she deserves it. A couple days had passed and Ramon had breakfast tacos waiting for them. When the meal was done, he said that he would have to leave for classes and work. Rosanna tells them to wait as she wants to take a new photo for the uh, altar. Leticia thanks her brother for making time for them. Ramon responds by telling her that he's only a message away and that if she needs anything to just ask. A car horn sounded outside and he left out the door. As they were leaving, as he was leaving, Letitia wished wished him good luck. Ramon pauses to respond and wishes her luck as well. And if for whatever reason things don't work out, then something else finds her or she'll find it. So nice little family heartwarming chapter. Although, I don't know, did you sense maybe a little bit of deception to that? Um, I don't know. Not as far as like him paying off the house. I think that was genuine. I'm okay. Yeah. Let, I guess let me be specific with asking Letitia questions about um, special ops. Uh, maybe, maybe just kind of fishing a little bit, but I don't know if, if he was really expecting that he'd get anything of any use out of her. Gotcha. Because, I mean, she. When she thinks that these questions are like suspicious, Letitia thinks to herself that maybe he had changed, but she recognizes that he never really seemed interested in that stuff or even interested in her. So I just, I thought that that, I thought the author was trying to tell us something and maybe I'm looking too deep into it, but I think that, I think that this ties into something that happens at the end of the book. All right. I got an idea what you might be talking about. Yeah. Um, I also thought that uh, there's there's a little bit of foreshadowing in this chapter as well, um, because when Ramon and Letitia are talking about not being kids anymore, and it's uncertain what the future could hold for us, you know, like that, uh, I guess it's hard knowing <laughs> everything that comes after. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember reading it and just, I felt like that would be some foreshadowing. I guess I don't really remember having specific feelings on that, but that's just that's just my take. Yeah, you know me, I over I'd read between the lines about everything even when there's nothing there. So, but I just I feel like that all of these three things tie in together because at the at the end again, he he tells her that he's only a message away and that if she needs anything to just ask. So, it seemed he seemed super motivated to find out everything he can about the Marines and how everything works. So I wonder if this is just an inquiry to make sure if she can't find a job or if potentially would there be a way of her finding out what he's doing? Because the Marines, military, I believe, is doesn't Wayland yutani isn't that essentially who she enlists with? I well, I think they're they're probably supposed to be separate, but maybe they're not so much. But I I. Th- I don't think she would be very happy if she found out who he was working for. Right. Yeah. Or, well, maybe, I guess, specifically what he was doing, she wouldn't be happy about. Maybe she might not be thrilled about who he's working for, but the project itself, yeah, she's definitely wouldn't like. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really, I was happy for Rosanna um, that she no longer has to worry about that financial responsibility. I thought that that was a nice gift uh, from Ramon, but all of the other all of the other stuff and especially interactions with her sister i just i felt it felt it felt sleazy to me but again he could have been trying to be genuine but you know he essentially is is living a double life with two different women so 
I, I don't know if I can really trust him. I guess that's maybe where this is all coming from. I think that makes sense. I, I understand that. But outside of that, I didn't I didn't really have a, a lot for that chapter. Um, it was a pretty short one. Um, some good conversation in there that I, you know, of course, didn't summarize because that would have made it way longer. So, but yeah. Yeah, wholesome. Yeah, wholesome. Not a lot of that in this book. And yeah, one of the shorter chapters too, especially in this this half. But yeah, I guess uh, if you're good, I'm good. All right, we'll move on here. Rosanna drove Letitia to basic training in South Carolina. Though the original training facility on Paris Island had been swallowed by the ocean, now it was in Fairfax. Letitia knew she was at, was close now as she saw road signs and thought about the two rites of passage she would endure the same day, leaving home and basic training. As they entered the camp, Letitia wondered what her mother had gone through as she entered training. Rosanna asked if she had everything. Letitia said that she did and that she loved her. Rosanna told her that she had made the right choice. She will succeed in all she does, and her mother and all their ancestors are proud. Letitia said she would call as soon as she was able. They hugged, and then Letitia walked in on her own, knowing that she determined how successful she would be. She thought she needed to survive basic first, then three years of service, then nine months of raider training. This was her plan. She made it to the intake building and got in line. When she reached the front, she was given her uniform, told not to bitch about the food. Her haircut was already within regulation, and her bunk was located on the card she was given. As she walked to her new home, she knew she would make her new family here, and she needed them to survive the crucible. Their drill instructor was named Mercy and she said they would receive none from her. It was her job to get them into shape during the next 13 weeks. She said she knew some of them aspired to be raiders. She knew who they were, and she would make the determination if they made the cut or not. Mercy sent them on their first hump across the training yard. Letitia knew her life started now, and she only wanted to go forward and up. When they got back to the barracks, everyone was beat. Another recruit named Frida said she was not prepared. Letitia said neither was she, and she had done work on a farm as a kid, but no endurance training. Letitia meets the other recruits who hope to be admitted to the Raiders. Hey, and one of them is from Minnesota. They all made introductions and had a drink to celebrate. The bond they forged throughout training was more than any friendship, closer than even her brother. They always helped when another faltered. Mercy watched them all like a hawk as she said she would. When she wasn't studying or training, she was in the gym, preparing her body. She knew basic training was meant to create quitters, and she would not be one of them. Crew all made it through the 54-hour hell known as the Crucible, all earning their globe and anchor. And at graduation, Mercy had told them they all qualified for the Raiders. She found Rosanna and Robert and told them she made it. They were not surprised and asked where she was off to. She didn't know, but she told them they went where orders said to go. Rosanna said she could come visit home anytime. Her room would always be there. Letitia said she would carry the family name with pride wherever her boots took her. So kind of a quick condensation of of a lot of things that happened here. Um, You leave home, you go through basic training, you're aspiring to, I guess, more or less special ops, and you get to graduation, and now it's it's just kind of a checkmark, and you're waiting to find out what the next thing is going to be. Right, yeah. Um, I guess it's been a while since I've read the chapter, but um, The Crucible, they... They actually talked about it, right? Like uh, the author, how do you mean? Described them going through the crucible, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's a real thing. It's yeah. It, it's what I think fifty-four hours, and throughout all that, you only get like eight hours of sleep, and it's it, it's basically hell. Brutal. From, yeah. From what I understand of it, so it's yeah, I, oh, I not not a lot of fun. 
no <laughs> no but it takes a lot of a lot of determination and a lot of will and i think that it sounds like for the most part Letitia made it through just fine you know i mean i don't remember her feeling like she was struggling at all so yeah yeah you're yeah i don't remember getting that feeling either um but it, you know, it's like they said, it's you know the basic training. It's designed to make quitters. So it's, I mean, if you get through, you know, you've got. They want the people that you know you can count on. Somebody oh. who's when everything's on the line, when it all matters, that person's going to pull through. Right, and she's, you know, I think the deeper thing here is that she's she's accomplished one thing in her, you know, dream of becoming you know a marine. Right, and I think this aligns with Jeanette's story quite a bit and there's definitely some similarities there and i think that Letitia is just like that's the ultimate goal right is that she's one step closer to being like or if not better than her mom very interesting take but i 100 percent agree yeah why was I, that i like interesting that take what's that why was that interesting take I, no, just not something i thought of oh gotcha okay all right so no it wasn't nothing bad <laughs> just just uh, uh something i didn't consider that's all well i mean i think that ultimately you know i mean i know the malazan stuff you know we're constantly looking for themes and i feel like that's the biggest theme here um is is jeanette or vasquez right like i think kind of what we talked about in part one is that it can be very misleading because you think that you're going in reading about jeanette um but as you go through the book, you recognize and see similarities. And, you know, even when you get to the end, like that, that to me is the theme is that she, you know, uh, follows in her mother's footsteps and then in a subconscious, heavenly, spiritual way makes her proud, you know? Oh, to me, I guess the theme was that I felt throughout really this whole book was family. I guess I could see that too. I guess I could see that too. I mean, whether it's the family you make or the the family you have, there's just a lot that, to me, right. reached I, out for that. And this is just the beginning of of that family, you know. I mean, she even says that she's closer to these people than her own brother. So I, I think that that serves two purposes. It it tells us the reader that there's definitely some estrangeness between these twins. Ramon and Letitia, um, but also that just because your blood doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have a family. Right. I didn't really have anything else here, I don't think. No, not at all. I'm uh, I'm ready to move on if you are. Yeah, go ahead. Julia is in the kitchen chopping vegetables. Ramon approaches and states that the vicar's schoolboy had been gaining support, especially after the several media leaks. Ramon continues on and tells her that apparently Vickers is interested in Meredith's pet project, the planet that they have been using. She tells him that Vickers wants to call, call it Olinka, and asks Ramon what Vickers knows. Ramon assures her that he hasn't seen much. Julia explains to Ramon that Vickers wants to create a peaceful utopia of some kind. Ramon tells her to let him play for a little bit, and then they'll sweep in and take it back for good. He explains that with the xenomorph on the world stage to be used, no one could touch them. Not even governments, and they could do this all together. Julia had stopped chopping the vegetables and turned around to tell him that this is why she loved him and his big cunning brain. Julia expresses a concern that one of the scientists is more paranoid about the xenomorphs. Ramon immediately knows that it's Dr. Moon. Ramon assures her that he's got it all covered and that they're doing this together. Ramon left the kitchen for a smaller room, all four walls covered in whiteboard. 
Julia enters the room and converses with Ramon. Ramon explains to Julia the plan that Benjamin Ross has. When that concludes, Julia writes something on the whiteboard that causes Ramon to smile real big. Brenda Moon screams to see Lorena right now. Dr. Patel asks why. They can see her via drone. Inside her head, she wanted, needed Lorena to make the slightest threatening move so she could release the bacteria to kill her. After her thoughts, Dr. Moon says to Dr. Patel to always keep a watchful eye. And if in the event something happened, she hoped Dr. Patel would do the right thing. She exclaims again to go see the queen. Reaching the queen's chamber, they don't, they don hazmat suits and enter. Lorena, Lorena was completely still. After some time observing her, Dr. Moon has noticed subtle changes and wonders if the synths have documented or observed this. She wonders what the Xeno Queen was planning. After exiting the chamber, she explains that more preventative measures need to be taken or they'll end up being the sick experiment. Too much was being kept from her. Bodies were being wheeled from the lab. One got close enough for Moon to see black liquid streaming from her nose. She orders them to stop as they don't have the antidote for everyone. Moon orders the synth to do something. Noticing that the synth wasn't doing anything, she pulls a gun and shoots the woman on the gurney. The synth steps in the way though. Dr. Patel told her that she wouldn't have, she shouldn't have done that. Moon tells her why the fuck not. The xenocytes cannot get out. What happens if they get onto a ship or someone gets infected and ends up on the ship? Moon feels a stab in her neck and Dr. Patel tells her that she's been overworked. Interesting. Um... One of my first thoughts was when Julia is telling Ramon why she loved him and she's just like, and his big cunning brain, all I could think of was, I'm sure that's not all she loves. Something a little more R-rated perhaps, Justin? Yeah, yeah, his penis, Derek. His penis. I guess. I understood. (laughs) Uh, This is a a family-friendly show. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Sounds good. All right. I will try to keep it pg i mean i guess you did say penis so right it's biologically correct i have no complaints okay all right (laughs) (laughs) um but i don't know i guess between these two characters i'm getting a lot of this like togetherness and it seems like he's made a decision and commitment to both marianne and julia which we i mean we knew that that isn't new information but he talks about not wanting to lose her And seeing Julia, sorry, with another man would drive him insane. He asks if she could be a stepmother and she agrees uh, to as like a compromise of some sort. I'm not a fan of where this is going, but that's just my opinion. So we didn't, we didn't mention anything, but I believe it's this chapter um, or it was the previous chapter where uh, Ramon essentially has two kids with Marianne. I don't know if we... We didn't, I don't think we summarized any of that, um, but uh, we, we haven't brought it up yet anyways. Yeah. So I guess this is a good, a good point. So, you know, Ramon is just kind of feeling out Julia here because she's, I, I'm assuming that he's hoping that she's okay with being a stepmom to his children. And it looks like in order to stay together, uh, Julia is okay to compromise on that. Because she doesn't want children herself, but she understands that Ramon already has kids. So, you know, it's just the things that they're doing to stay together is just, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh, dysfunctional. Right. That's a good word. I like that. They're totally dysfunctional. Just a, another tie into the family. Just Now it's a dysfunctional family. Yeah. And um, 
what Ramon explains to Julia, the plan for Benjamin's Benjamin Ross's plan. Uh, Benjamin Ross wants fear inducing compact undetectable Xeno eggs or Xeno infected humans that can be activated with a touch of a button. That's some scary shit. It's like a human bomb, basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and my first read through this book and it, it came a little, it came, it became a little bit clearer now that I summarized half of the last, last half year. I mean, it's probably been a good maybe month and a half since I've read this book. Um, but while I was going through it, I kept mixing up the Xeno eggs and the bacteria as well as the xenocytes. For some reason in my head, they were all three the same thing, and I'm not sure why. There's a lot to keep track of, that's for sure. Yeah. But what else did you have here? Well, I think it's interesting um, that Dr. Moon has some pretty harsh, like, internal criticisms for the synths, for the androids um, that are monitoring Lorena, um, because it's she thinks that one of the synths... Um, is being used to observe more closely as they have been taking longer to do their tasks. So I don't think that this has anything to do um, with necessarily monitoring the queen, but more kind of like a spy, I think is what I got from Dr. Moon here is that she thinks that someone is spying on her. I don't know if you got that feeling as well. I mean, she's definitely getting paranoid feeling, isn't she? Mm hmm. I mean, to the point where, you know, she has to be tranked, right? I mean, I would, I feel like her uh, suspicions were founded correct. Yeah. But I mean, you just don't get needled in the neck for no reason. No. So do you think that like Dr. Patel is, uh, has been convert convinced or do you think that Dr. Patel is, uh, like working for, well, I mean, obviously they're all working for the same company, but you know what I mean? Like on the side of what i'm assuming is ramon and julia the, the the side of chaos yeah i yeah i i think so it must be their kind of inside person well and i mean like it doesn't i don't know with the whole with the whole like woman on the gurney that moon tries to shoot you know it it really just it seems like they don't like Wayland yutani doesn't give a single fuck and it just i'm wondering if these events have anything to do with what julia wrote on the whiteboard that made Ramon smirk wickedly. You know what I mean? Like that is never revealed, but I'm wondering in which of these chapters does that come to fruition? You know what I mean? Maybe she just wrote 69 on the whiteboard. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that is true. I'm, you know, I like that better. <laughs> I mean, that'd be smirk worthy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Again, I'm overthinking it. Maybe that's a question that we asked the author. <laughs> well, that's only a few days away. That is only, that's what, Saturday? Saturday. That'll mm -hmm. be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I am too. I definitely think that that's a question we should ask her. We'll have to jot it down here. If that was maybe um, like a sexual innuendo, uh, or if that has something to do with what happens later on. I, it's, it's probably not a sexual thing, I'm going to guess. Never know. True true i feel like she would be open to that not that act but that conversation <laughs> <laughs> although oh, i mean i will boy. admit she is very attractive so uh i may be blushing shoot. All the time shoot your shot justin <laughs> nope i'm happily taken i am not gonna pull a ramon here ah <laughs> uh, you see what i was setting you up for <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I get the sense of carelessness here. You know, I mean, Dr. Moon can't be the only one who knows that they don't have enough, like, an- anecdotes, you know, antidotes for these xenocytes, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, careless is a good a good way to word that. Would you go as far as to say sabotage? Uh, I don't know, because I don't, probably not, because I don't think that they... Like, I think they want to push the envelope, but I don't think they want like a full blown outbreak. I don't think they want, you know, what happens in the end of the book to happen. Or do they though? Because it kind of sounds like they are sabotaging a certain someone, which we'll get to eventually. I I, I still feel no. Okay. I, I think it's just. Maybe not at this point. Just gross negligence. I mean, it's just. Careless. Just a bunch of bad, just, just a bunch of bad calls. All right. Okay. I'll take it. Just curious. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, I didn't have anything else for uh, that chapter. All right. Year is 2195. The crew sat around a bar eating some burgers and fries, drinking some beer. They'd returned from a cold mission in the Arctic Circle. The United Americas had a base there with three nuclear submarines. When the base was abandoned, it was thought they were secured. Over time, they had drifted away and pirates claimed them. Her crew had been tasked with getting them back to Alaska. Their boat had a narwhal jet ski, and they came to be roughly above the subs. Though they didn't see anyone or anything, Letitia reminded them to remain vigilant. Pirates were getting more advanced tech all the time. There was a sudden boom as another boat emerged that had been camouflaged. There were three on board, and one had a rocket launcher. Letitia jumped on the narwhal. Narwhal. Letitia told them to get the subs to friendly waters as she went after the pirates. Muhammad said they would wait for her and find her wherever she was. In battle with the pirates, Letitia's narwhal took a hit, lost its maneuverability, so she managed to get it to shore. She ran into the trees and was able to hear the other boat approach. She also heard something growl, something big and something close to her. It was a wolf, all white except a small patch on its head. She thought it was a female and that her pups must be near. She backed away, saying she meant no harm and she respects that this is her turf. As she backed away from the animal, she spotted her enemy counterpart, though Letitia had not yet been spotted by her. She raised her weapon to shoot her. A deer walking through the crusty snow draws the woman's attention. She sees Letitia. Not wanting to kill her, Letitia runs at her to tackle her and take her into custody. She cuffed the woman, but then they heard growling. Lots of it. Letitia backed away again, leaving her prisoner. The wolves took care of her. She made it back to shore and was picked up by her crew. Back at their meal, they they talked and celebrated. Letitia says she is fast-tracking for promotion, and it's within the rules. She just needs to take take and pass a written exam, and she needs another volunteer. Muhammad says he'd rather do the crucible over again than the 24 hours Letitia would face. And he hears that Haas has entered or is interested as well. They'll probably give it to her anyways, since her family is military like legacy. Desiree steps up and says not to listen to him and she will step up with her. Letitia stood next to Melissa Haas. They were the same rank. Letitia wanted nothing more than to wipe the smirk off her face when she got the promotion. The colonel said they knew the rules as long as they read the briefing. They get one chance. Mom's spaghetti. That was funny, I thought. Anything they forgot or do outside of the rules would count against them. Their teammate will be taken to a predetermined location. The objective is to get them to get to them where there will be further instructions. They are sent off on their mission. Haas appears to have sabotaged Letitia's narwhal to gain advantage so she had to swim, losing precious time. However, she continued on, determined not to give up, 
even if the playing field wasn't level. Eventually, she finds Desiree. Patricia asks her for the directions, but Desiree doesn't know anything about them. She was blindfolded, and nobody said anything to her. She'd been sitting in the dark until she was found. They were 15 miles from the base. Letitia was pissed and determined to turn Haas in for cheating, even though she'd deny it. Letitia would have to accept the loss. It was part of life but quitting didn't have to be. Once back to base, she found Haas and threw her tray of food on the floor and yelled at her for cheating. Of course, Haas only denied it. She pleaded her case to the colonel, but he said there was no proof. She tells him to look at her narwhal. The colonel says someone is already on it, on their way, and until they find any evidence, Haas has the promotion. After she's dismissed, she talks with Desiree, who agrees the whole situation is foobar, but not surprising with who... Haas's father is, an ex-major general who does security for Wayland yutani Frustrated that others have things planned out with a silver spoon in their mouth, she thinks it's time to write a resignation letter. She needs to find another way, or another way would find her. She no longer felt like destiny existed. I felt like this chapter did a really good job of, like, really giving us a sense of who Letitia is as a character. In what ways? What do you mean? Well, like, you know, kind of what I mentioned earlier with, you know, following in her mother's footsteps, you know, but at the same time, feeling the sense that spiritually she's making her mother proud, you know, facing these adversities, you know, with the pirate, the narwhal, um, the Haas, the promotion, like none of that all of those are obstacles, but she doesn't give up. She just keeps going. You know what I mean? So like, I guess that to me embodies what Jeanette Vasquez was. You know, I feel like that personifies in written form kind of what I get the sense that I get when I'm watching the Aliens movie and I'm watching Vasquez, Jeanette Vasquez in the Aliens movie. You know what I mean? I agree with you up until about the last part of this chapter, because we see that she, I mean, she kind of does give up, which seems a little out of character for her. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on in this chapter. We have kind of three different things going on um, that at least as I read this, it, it, they kind of all blur together, but yeah, she's on this mission um, that has an encounter and then comes back and goes on this accelerated promotion task probably you want to call it um and then gets kind of fucked in that and then uh you know now she's looking for a different path um so yeah I, I, she she is very resilient and you know definitely through the i guess race whatever you want to call it um yeah. training exercise she she doesn't quit i mean she knows she's not going to make it back she got her ass kicked in it but she still does it so yeah you're 100 right there but it just it felt odd to me that she just kind of bailed out after that. Like, well, I didn't get the promotion. Things didn't go my way. So I'm going to kind of throw a little fit about it. Yeah, I, I guess I see where you're coming from. But I guess the way I'm looking at it, my perspective is like, we know that Letitia has always wanted to be a Marine or even a Raider, which is just a, a step above. But there's never any mention in her dreams or goals that she wants to be a Colonel. So I think that ultimately in Letitia's perspective is that she has achieved what she wants to, but now she's, she's hit the ceiling and she feels like at this point it's time to move on because she's accomplished the things that she wants to accomplish. She knows that she is destined for higher and better things. So she's going to pursue opportunities elsewhere. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. No, Just no, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think 
like it just felt a little bit off because I, I don't think like if you just decide you don't want to be in the military anymore, I don't think they just let you write a letter that lets you out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fair. I, I guess I, get, I see where you're coming from, but I just I feel like she is uh, she's not done and she's not going to get what she needs from the Raiders anymore, you know? um yeah the story needs her elsewhere right yeah exactly but uh what did you have any thoughts on on the wolf and uh the you know the comparison that she calls her team los lobos which is wolf pack in spanish i believe or wolf i'm not quite sure how it translates but i thought yeah, that i think that- it's just wolf um i because that's where she got the idea for the name for the team right if am i remembering that right not that i know of i thought that they were called las lobos before that she encountered the wolf oh i guess i don't remember um i remember trying to think of how it related and i just i i couldn't really come up with anything so if that is it then it totally works well i mean uh i think that it's supposed to represent a pack right like that uh i guess as you called out the the familial obligation um to being a, a tight-knit group and i think that that was just a personification in the book of like how close she is with her fellow marines it is i mean yeah it's definitely a, a bond I, I mean it's not one i can speak to but i think to on, on some level you know playing on a, a sports team and this is probably a bad comparison but i mean you have a bond with your your teammates but it's it's not anywhere on the same level as something like this i mean you're not trusting your teammate with your life in a game like where you're literally counting on your teammates to watch your back and you're watching theirs yeah I guess, yeah. So the, I think the the wolf pack that works. Okay, yeah. I just thought of this. <laughs> it was cool. And it was I, I. What was uh? Well, there was that movie with Liam Neeson, but he gets attacked by the wolves, doesn't he? I I don't remember if there was a a point where he was backing away, but I just feel like I could see that very clearly, or I could imagine like stumbling into that, and you know, like you got this wolf growling at you, and you're just like, fuck. Yeah. And then you're you're like backing away. You're like talking to this thing like. I don't mean this. I'm, I'm getting out. Just let me get away and I'll leave you alone. I, right. can, I can see that. Well, I mean, do you do you think that uh, the wolf taking out this pirate has anything to do with anything or is it just that's it? You know, like I get the feeling that the wolf sensed the respect that Letitia was giving it. And so therefore wasn't aggressive to Letitia. Uh, but because this pirate was threatening Letitia, that the wolf basically took care of it you know what i mean like it was defending leticia for having respect again probably overthinking it but i just i think that's a cool thought (laughs) it is a cool thought i guess i did not personally think of it that way i i more felt like i think so i guess i agree with some what you're saying you should probably the wolf probably sensed the respect and and probably more than anything that leticia was calm you know, and, and backing away where this pirate is handcuffed and I would imagine panicking. Right. Yeah. Fearing for their life. Right. Rightfully so too. And, and then, you know, you can't do anything and then just get ripped to shreds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I thought it was a cool, cool chapter. A lot of very interesting things happened and um, it progressed Letitia's story. 
Definitely. You know, we get to we get to see and read her accomplish the things that we've been reading about for chapters now. You know, like it it was it was cool to see it come to fruition. But at this point in the book, there's still a lot of ground to cover. So you're like, okay, well, what now? You know, like it just (laughs) you it keeps you engaged in her story. It does. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I don't I don't have any additional thoughts. Did you? Uh, No, I think I'm good for you to move on, sir. All right. This one's a little bit of a, another chunky one. Um, but Ramon, Leticia, and Rosanna are all gathered around for Dia de las Mortes. Rosanna congratulated Ramon on his new position within Wayland Utani. Ramon tells his Tia about his children and Marianne and that they are doing well. Ramon turns to face Leticia and asks her what news she has and apologizes about her not getting the promotion. Leticia says that she is done working as a Marine during the day and is taking classes at night. Outside of that, she really doesn't have much to report on. Ramon tells her that they... Haven't been always on the same page, but he might have a gig for her, working as private security. He goes on to explain to her that he thinks her talents are being wasted, and in their mother's letter, their mom told him to take care of his sister. Letitia realized that he wasn't lying because her letter said the same thing. She said that she was listening. Ramon explains that the Wayland Utani was getting a new CEO who was trying to clean up past mistakes. Letitia scoffs at this because their mother died working for that awful company. Ramon counters with why she was there in the first place, money and wealth. Rosanna steps in and tells them that they argued enough as children, but now uh, they're grown-ass adults. Ramon simply asks if she'll at least just give it a chance. Letitia simply says fine, as she grabs the meal that was set down by her Tia. Ramon explains to her that when they're done eating, he will make all the arrangements. As usual, Ramon outdid himself when he chose a hotel in a tall skyscraper in Manhattan. Before this so-called meeting, she had time to visit Desiree at her new job. Ramon and Leticia met at a coffee bar on the ground floor of the building. They finish their coffee and make their way to the meeting. They finally arrive at Jacob's personal office. Ramon gave Leticia some last-minute advice and then tells her to go on in. Jacob introduces himself and shakes hands with Letitia. Letitia could not help herself and thought that he was rather attractive. After some smaller introductory conversation, Jacob goes on to explain that she would go in as a contractor, set up basic security, and be present to make sure everyone felt safe. Letitia says that this sounds easy. Jacob explains that it was actually Ramon's idea, and that if an outside threat ever occurred, that there should be a specialized security force present. Jacob continues to explain his vision. After some thinking to herself, she hesitantly asks him for for him to send her some paperwork. Jacob tells her that she'll have the paperwork by the afternoon, and then invites them out for a company wine tasting party. Ramon speaks on behalf of Letitia, who glares at him. They both agree to attend the wine tasting. Once in the elevator, uh, the brother and sister have an argument. Once this argument or disagreement concludes, Ramon tells her since all the hotels are booked that she would stay at his apartment in the city. He also tells her that she would pick up some... He also tells her that she should pick up something nice to wear. She arrives at Ramon's apartment and snoops around. She eventually takes a nap until it's time to get ready. Brenda Moon knew she couldn't trust Dr. Patel which only reinforced her need 
to hold on to the kill switch fob. The three Xeno Queens had been exhibiting small changes, and while they stayed in a stasis, the other Xenos were becoming aggressive. Brenda observes from a wall monitor, a blind man, and a Xeno enter a shared space. The man was infected with the bacteria responsible for killing Xenos. The Xenos shrieked but did not attack. A woman with the same infection also enters the room. This time, the Xeno lunges to attack the woman. Dr. Moon thinks that this is heading, that it's heading for the door that was still closing and grabs the tablet from the android's hand and then shoves the android. The Xeno had known that the bacteria wasn't active in the woman. The Xeno used its tail to drive into the blind man's skull, killing him and unleashing the bacteria into the Xeno, essentially killing it. She hands the android, to, android the tablet and tells it to get that room cleaned out and sterilized. She heads up to her room as she's going to be making a report. Someone has to stand up. So yeah, it is a another beefy chapter there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I guess starting from the top, I, when Ramon is, is being congratulated uh, on his new position, it's told to us, the readers, that uh, Letitia is maybe seething with jealousy a little bit at that. I mean, did you pick up on that too, or...? I guess I don't really remember at this point. Gotcha. To be perfectly honest. I, I don't remember specifically what she said, even though I just summarized this yesterday. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially it's just, I got the feeling that she's, you know, she's watching her brother be successful where she feels like she's hasn't been, you know, even though that's not really the case. I think she's just kind of down on herself. I, I would agree with that. I mean, yeah, I guess it'd probably be hard to not kind of feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I thought that that was interesting. And um, I guess the other thing that I thought was really cool, which really has nothing to do with the events of the chapter. And I know that we had our little, our little Google sheet conversation about it, but uh, apparently the coffee is from some extinct animal because it had eaten the coffee beans and then shit them out, which was how it got its unique flavor. Um, and I just, I thought, I thought like before you chimed in that this was some kind of stab on, on the rich and the elite, but, um, apparently it, it doesn't have that, uh, type of connotation. Yeah. The, there's, uh, there really is a coffee that, uh, is eaten by some sort of cat like animal. The bean is, and it's partially, partially digested and then they poop it out and <laughs> then they use that to make coffee. That's kind of gross. And I think if I remember right, I think it's the most expensive coffee in the world. Well, I mean, is it like corn where it doesn't fully digest? So it just shits out. I did not research it that much. I didn't either. I'm just, I'm going off based on what I know about digestive systems. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be the one digging for those coffee beans. No, me neither. Hopefully it pays a lot, a shitload. (laughs) Good one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, They got a good chuckle. Okay, good, good, good. The other thing that I thought was interesting, and this is more, I guess, character and story driven, is that Jacob in his meeting with Letitia explains that the whole private security thing was actually Ramon's idea. So this got me thinking, and I feel like it, it hit me harder when I was summarizing the chapter. Um, initially I was all gung ho about Letitia getting to do some cool shit, but it doesn't seem that Ramon has her back. I think that he is putting himself above family. So his name has a legacy. Do you, do you see where I'm going with that? Like, I think that 
this is all part of Julia and Ramon's plan. And he is using his sister. Uh, yeah, to get, I, I can see that. You know what I mean? Like, because we know that it has something to do with Jacob, right? Based on the previous chapter that I summarized is that right. they are going to let him play a little bit and then they're going to go in and, and retake the planet essentially. So now that we're at this part, I kind of think that the word that she put on the whiteboard, uh, even though 69 is the best answer ever, um, I think it was like revenge or um, sabotage or uh, just take him down or, you know, something along those lines. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah I got you. Take him out. Um, something like that. So uh, accident. But yeah, I just, I think, I think it was at this point in the story where like I started to, the suspicions that I had about Ramon started to come or make sense to me. All of the weird questions, you know, pretending to be interested in Letitia's life. I think that it's all just a play. And this, yeah, this right here tells me that that's probably the case. It's kind of a snake a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. So, and then it was just everything after this, anything that Ramon said or did, I was like magnifying under a microscope and, and dissecting it, you know? Right. Which was probably the right thing to do for him. Yeah. And then um, the other thing uh, that I, I kind of called out is when Ramon tells her that all the hotels are booked and she can stay at his apartment in the city. Uh, I think that Ramon slipped there because Leticia is definitely suspicious like why do you have two why do you have two places so i think this is kind of when she starts to realize that he's maybe potentially living a double life a little bit i don't know if you caught that but uh i, I remember feeling that way i think okay good good but outside of those things i thought that the interaction between um jacob and Letitia were very forward like they seemed to very be instantly attracted to each other which I feel like anytime you work with somebody that you're attracted to, like you don't think, <laughs> you don't think really. No, probably not. So I just thought that that was uh, an interesting connection, I guess, like to establish that right away. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah, they both they both felt the attraction right away. So yeah, you're probably you're probably gonna play on that. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um. Yeah, I guess the only other thing that I would have is these uh, small changes that Dr. Moon has noticed is is quite remarkable. And I guess I never really thought of xenomorphs of evolving, uh, especially in stressful situations, you know? Yeah, me neither. But it was cool. It's, it's. I mean, what the heck can't these things do? I mean, they do just about everything else. So why can't right. they do that? Yeah, and it, it just... It goes to show like the intelligence of them too, right? Like they knew that one was infected with the bacteria that would kill them and the other was not. But I think that it also demonstrates uh, the xenomorph's frustration because it, and I probably didn't summarize it correctly, but it does, from what I gathered, he was trying to get out um, because the door hadn't quite closed as the woman entered. But yeah, so I think that he was just going through the woman to get to the door and... That is kind of when Dr. Moon was forced to to act, even though, yeah. Did you get that sense? I mean, I guess maybe I just don't remember correctly. Uh, well, it's it's been a while, so I don't <laughs> I don't rightly remember how I felt when I read that. 
Gotcha. I mean, it was really oriented. No, I mean, I mean, it really isn't anything nerd to digest. I'm just more or less trying to explain what Dr. Moon was trying to do, because the way it summarized to me, it, it, it seems pointless that she would push a, an Android. I mean, outside of the fact that they are creepy, but you know, um, yeah, but it just, it sounds like the Xenomorph got frustrated and ended up killing the man, which ended up killing himself. So I don't know if that was just, uh, I can't take this anymore, so I'm just out. <laughs> Peace out. Right. Well, yeah. should we move on? Let's do it. All right. Um, I, is this? Yes, I am excited for this one. All right. Letitia arrived looking out of place on purpose just to stick it to Ramon. Just because she was a Marine didn't mean she couldn't dress up and look good at it, too. When Ramon sees, he's stunned at how she looks. He said he told her to look, to look good not sexy. As they entered the restaurant, Ramon says Marianne wants more time to go shopping with her. She replies that he can afford it, and Ramon blows it off. They met Jacob, and he flirts with Letitia a little bit. Ramon says their tasting is in a private room. As they set about business, Jacob asks Ramon asks if Ramon had heard about Benjamin Ross. He says yes. He heard they found him dead with drugs all over him. Ramon says he's glad he kept it all business with him. They went about their tasting, Ramon watching Letitia while Jacob paid all of his attention to Letitia. The two talked. He wanted Letitia to put a team together. She said she had briefly looked at his email and told him about the promotion she was passed up for, how it was a setup, and maybe it just led her to this moment. Jacob agreed. He continued on about how he lived his life in a similar way of beliefs, and that's what Olenka was about. He continued to talk, talked about how Peter Whalen saved the planet, now he wanted to save humanity's soul. Letitia agreed that roots were important. With a sudden with a sudden feeling that she didn't belong, she asked Jacob if he wanted to ditch out of the party with her. He wanted to make some goodbyes first, but she said no. She wanted to leave before anyone realized they were gone. He was in and asked where they were going. She said to the bad side of town. They showed up to a club with no sign to indicate its name. The bouncer knew her and let her in when she said she was here to see Desiree. Letitia paid even though Jacob protested. She said since he paid for all the fancy shit, she had this covered. Letitia must be a regular as she asks a worker for a couch in the champagne room. No matter what a stripper tells you, there's no sex in the champagne room, according to Chris Rock. They make it to the back room. Desiree is surprised to see Letitia and thanks her for bringing thanks her for bringing in her flavor of the week. She tells Desiree she's here for business and just wants to talk. She agrees even though it's short notice. Letitia said it just kind of came up, but Jacob has a job for them. She might be the director of security, and she's going to need a team. The best team. Fuck yeah. Desiree asks how much. Letitia scribbles an obscene number on her arm. Desiree doesn't believe it. No overthrowing governments? No assassinations? Jacob broke in and said no, only setting up a new colony. As far as they know, there's no life there. Desiree is on board with the plan. Jacob and Letitia continue to talk. He asks her if she will be leaving anyone behind. She says no, never been in love, and timing-wise, a relationship never worked out. Jacob replied that all he's met have been gold diggers. Letitia asked about Olenka. He tells her that it is inspired by a real concept from the 1950s by a Mexican artist slash philosopher, Gerardo Murillo, otherwise known as Dr. Adel. It was designed to be a utopia for scientists, artists, intellectuals, and other similar types. They have everything they need to see humanity reach its greatest potential. He continued on 
about a trip he took in college to Peru, and he thought about all the company-sponsored secret missions, all the lives lost. He started his career in urban planning and joined Weyland-Yutani when the politics got messy. Members of the board approached him. The planet was unnamed and similar to Earth. It was the perfect opportunity. Everything he said had Letitia impressed. He said he was grateful for the opportunity to get to know her. Letitia wanted to jump his bones. He asked her, uh... He asked her one last question. What was the hardest lesson she had had to learn? She answered, to be alone. Jacob agreed with her and said they were both just trying to do better than their forebears. He was tired of war and destruction infecting generation after generation. Hell yeah. I, uh, so I like, all right, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, uh, I loved, I loved the fact that they, uh, she convinced him to dump, dump the party and, and go have some other fun. <laughs> Just going to a dive bar or whatever. I, or I think basically it was a strip club, right? I mean, right. they see a, or a combination <laughs> a of, of the both. Yeah. Like a dance club yeah. slash bar slash like strip club is, uh, right. I guess kind of what I got out of that. And I don't know, I guess it just kind of, you know, it elevates kind of what Letitia, who Letitia is a little bit, you know? So just I would do the same down to earth and yeah, yeah just chill you know right but i think uh, go ahead no i was just gonna say i know that you've got some really cool stuff you want to get off your chest so i'm just i, I do just giving you the floor <laughs> all right so yeah i'm i'm kind of i don't know if you've read my stuff here on the sides or not if you're just ignoring it i i did for I this did. part but okay um yeah if you're ready to learn a little bit about some alien lore uh, I was curious as to the name Olinka and where that might have come from. So knowing what I know of, of alien and aliens, I knew that the Nostromo, the Narcissus, and the Sulaco came from books. And I, I couldn't remember who wrote them or anything, so I had to do a little bit of Google research. But uh, the Nostromo, the name was taken from a 1904 Joseph Conrad novel called Nostromo. Uh, the Sulaco, the ship in Aliens, also came from that same novel. Uh, the escape shuttle that Ripley is in at the end of the first movie is called the Narcissus. And that's from another one of Joseph Conrad's books called, well, it was renamed to The Children of the Sea. Um, I'm not going to name the original one. If you're curious, you can look that up. Um, so I looked up, I Googled the name Olinka to see what I could find. And it is a, a book, a little bit more recent. Uh, if, if I remember right, I think it was 1982 when the book came out. But the book was called uh, The Color Purple, written by Alice Walker. Um, and so what I found was that there was a, a tribe of African people in the book that were called the Olinka. Um, and, and again, there wasn't a ton of information from what I was trying to find, but basically what I found was that apparently the women of this tribe were subjected to female genital mutilation. Um, and I don't feel like it's just a coincidence that she named this planet Olinka when we have mutilation going on with the queen with its hands being cut off, its feet being cut off, its lower jaw being cut off, all that stuff going in. I, I think that was, I have to believe that was intentional. Huh. Damn, dude. That uh that is really cool to think about. Um I definitely think that it's probably more than coincidence. And um yeah, it's just I think that we're seeing little breadcrumbs of the author's tr you know, train of thought, you know. Maybe maybe she has read the color purple and inspired her to make some connections between the alien queens. Um 
so yeah i just cool that was really cool yeah so i don't know that's when i had talked to you and i had said i had found something interesting or something like that that's what i was talking about um, you've been waiting a long time for this <laughs> <laughs> a little bit uh but yeah it's i mean it was just one of those things i kind of had some of that previous knowledge about you know where the names came from and and so that's kind of what prompted me to look and see what i could find on that it was not what i was expecting to find by any means um but when i started looking at it and i found found that i was just like no way like it's it's got to be intentional it just has to be I, I i just can't believe that was that big of a coincidence well i definitely think that this should be something you bring up with uh v the author. oh for for sure i definitely will yeah and um you know maybe maybe it is just a you know two ships passing in the night so to speak but you know i i've got a feeling that this is intentional and and maybe she can give us a little bit more in-depth analysis or a breakdown um on why she chose that particular name um you know referencing the color purple and just kind of like her whole her whole hot thought process around that you know i think that would be yeah. Yeah, her insight on that yeah definitely but that was that was kind of my big takeaway from that that chapter was just kind of my spiel there yeah well i mean i feel like a lot of these next few chapters are very just transitional um, I don't really think that there's a ton to take away outside of the Olinka thing. Um, you know, Desiree gets on board, you know, Jacob and, and Leticia explain their plan. Um, Desiree's all all for it. I think the only other thing, and I think that we all know that uh, uh, Ramon and Julia had staged Benjamin Ross's death. I guess I don't remember feeling that way, but it would not surprise me. Not well, Not one bit. Yeah. Because you remember, remember in the uh, the boat section where they're on the the yacht and he first meets Benjamin Ross. Uh, you know, Benjamin Ross, I believe, is is doing drugs there too. And uh, Ramon makes a pretty harsh judgment about it. And I think that that just kind of gives him helps him in their plan to get rid of him. Just uh, ammunition, right? To make it look you- to give 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 his death a, a story. So, I mean, now that I'm thinking about, I mean, Ramon and Julia, I mean, they're murderers, you know? So, like, it just, it adds to the distaste that you have that you're starting to get for Ramon at this point. But they're rich, so they can get away with it. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that there's a message there, too. Um, but, yeah, I guess I don't I don't have anything else unless you do. No. Go ahead and uh, take your way there, bud. All right. Uh, the rooster was crowded. Heads turned to Letitia and Jacob, mainly because Letitia was dressed as a bombshell. Just fucking gorgeous. Sexy. A man eyed them and exclaimed that Jacob looked familiar. After an argument between them about financial inequity or inequality, in an attempt to release the tension, Jacob offers to buy him a drink. The dude then calls his buddy over, explaining that, hey, this dude will buy us a drink. Letitia tells them to quit being assholes. As her parents died while employed for Wayland yutani one of the dudes accuses her of being Jacob's hooker. Letitia shows them by taking a shot and then breaking a beer bottle she had on the dude's chest and then knees him in the nuts. Humiliated, the two dudes skulk off and leave them alone. Later into the night, Jacob and Letitia are dancing like there isn't room for Jesus. Things are hot and heavy, and eventually Jacob tells her that he has a confession and that he invited her brother. Without answering, she steals a kiss, and tonsil hockey ensues. Breathlessly, 
he asks her to be by his side. She agrees to work with him. It's agreed that she can pick her own crew, starting with Desiree and some still in the core. Desiree interrupts them to say that Ramon was there. Ramon explains how embarrassed he was for the position he was put in because no one at the wine tasting could find Jacob. Jacob explains that it's not really a big deal and tells Ramon that his sister was in. Ramon smiled, but it wasn't a pleasant smile. Letitia woke up with a massive hangover the following morning. After taking some pain relievers, she went out. She sent out messages to Nathan, Mohammed, and Frida. Desiree already agreed she would let Ramon know of the supplies and equipment she would need so he could work his magic and acquire all of it. Three days later, Jacob called and explained that Ramon had made it happen. She has her team, and Ramon will be joining them. Before saying goodbye, Jacob asked if her team would be ready to leave on short notice. Leticia said that they would be. While getting dressed, she thought about calling Rosanna as she's not sure how long she'll be up in space. And while time is gifted during travel, those left behind do not get that benefit. The call with her Tia was emotional, and at the end, they say their goodbyes and their I love yous. Um, yeah. Um, the, I think it was interesting, uh, during Ramon's spiel, uh, Letitia is totally in the clouds as, as he's kind of like explaining his pity party. Jacob's hand is on the small of her back. Um, But in her mind, she's wanting this to escalate sexually, but she ends up restraining herself. I just, I thought that that was interesting because she just doesn't at this point give a fuck what Ramon has to say, you know? No, she doesn't, does she? No. A little more interested in something else. Right. Which, I mean, I don't feel like she's, I mean, at least we, we haven't had or read any of, you know, her potential sexual encounters. So I would assume that maybe she's still a virgin. I don't think so, but... I didn't, I didn't really think so either. Um, and then the whole Ramon smiled, but it wasn't a pleasant smile. I didn't really see it the first time through, but now that I'm sum- going through and summarized it, I feel like getting his sister to take this job offer is all part of his and Julia's plan. And there are small things that he does and says that just gives his intentions away. I mean, I'm not crazy for thinking that, right? I don't think so, no. Yeah, as these chapters go on, I just I, I don't like Ramon as a character, you know? I feel like he, he drives the story, but I'm I'm not, like, relating to him at all. So I, I see his motivations and I see his perspectives, but I don't. I don't agree with that feeling more. to me. Yeah. Uh, no, I just, the, the more this goes on, I, I agree. And that's where I was saying, you know, he just, he feels like Burke to me from the movie. Yeah. He's just got no care for anybody. All he wants is just his Vasquez name and he's going to do anything that he can to get it. Yeah. Make his mark. Right. Um, and then I thought it was really cool. Um, the call with her, her, her aunt just, Shows how much Letitia cares. Uh, and also, Rosanna kind of reassures Letitia that she's done her mother proud. And that Letitia is a Vasquez woman and a soldier to match. So it was just a very nice, ooey-gooey, gushy conversation. And it just stood out for me for some reason. You know, like, it kind of felt like a goodbye, but it almost kind of felt like a Rosanna giving her that reassurance that even though Letitia may have been doubting herself and her accomplishments so far that she actually did accomplish those things and uh, her mom would be proud. I don't think I can add anything to your words there. All right. Well, um, we'll uh, we'll move on to your mammoth of a summary. <laughs> hey, take it easy. <laughs> it was departure day. 
Letitia felt odd taking on a mission that she didn't have any clearly defined objects, objectives. Equipment and weapons were loaded. Ramon even approved a narwhal. She had to explain what it was to Jacob. They continued to load. Letitia noticed Ramon wasn't there, but she had a message from him saying he was running late, but nearly there. Once he arrived, she noticed that he looked like shit. Like he hadn't slept and was exhausted. Letitia asked what was up, and he said Marianne wasn't happy, but she knew what was she knew what she was getting into when they got married. Sympathetically, Letitia asked him why was he doing this anyways. He reiterated that he wanted this. She knew that was all the answer she would get out of her twin brother. She just told him to make sure he was thinking about his own twins back home. He said he was, and he was also thinking of the Vasquez name. This threw her for a loop, but she lost her thought as Desiree called over. She told her brother to have sweet dreams. But we know there's something deeper there. What do you think that is? It's Julia. They're they're a power couple. You know, they want to, basically what I've gathered is they want to, they want to utilize xenomorphs and and the xenocytes to basically have the power of the world. Like, I own these bioweaponry things and I'm going to sell them to the highest bidder and no one can stop me. Like, that is what. That is how he's trying to accomplish the Vasquez name, which now that I'm thinking about it, you know, the title of the book is Vasquez. And I know we've talked about this in depthly, but I think that the name itself, it could either be uh, a name that is soured or it could be a name that's glorified. I think he feels like he's he's going for the glory, but Correct. He's, he's, he's actually not. Right. So Ramon plays as much as the title as Letitia does. He does. They're kind of, it's almost like Open a little bit. Yep. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah, except Opan is a fucking asshole. Both of them. They both don't have any good. (laughs) I I didn't say it was a good comparison. (laughs) No, fair, 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 fair. But yeah, I guess I'd just be a very transitional chapter. I didn't have anything really outside of that one thing. Uh, Yeah, I think we can move on to your next chapter here. Yeah. I think this one's a doozy too. Yeah. All right. Uh, This project was Julia's glory. Dr. Moon had perfected the bacteria and in her paranoia had produced a neutralizing agent. It was time to test it in in different scenarios. They engineered parasites spliced with xeno DNA and pork tapeworm from earth produced rapidly and were easy to transport. They could invade an entire water system with ease. Julia had made this journey for another pressing reason though. The three queens had some unexpected changes. Brenda Moon theorizes that the changes in the Xeno Queens were a form of silent evolution. With the changes, Dr. Moon had petitioned for them to be put down. But there was no way in hell Julia was going to let that happen. And as an unexpected bonus, Ramon would be joining her. Ramon had promised a commitment, so no more sneaking around or stolen moments. She could finally wake up next to him and work side by side. Getting rid of Benjamin Ross had made it all the bit easier as Ramon was way better at getting things done. Julia goes on to think about the journey with Ramon since college. When she had first relaxed into Cairo for her journey, and in five years she would be there, she has thoughts about Jacob Vickers and how he was unfit for the job, and she couldn't believe the board put him in the top spot, as he was nothing like his great-grandmother Meredith. Julia enters Dr. Moon's office for the formal review 
and introductions are made. Dr. Moon explains that she has everything already set up. Julia looks at the screen and observes the Queen Zeno as stiff as a sphinx. Julia asks, well, what the fuck is the problem? It appears to her that the Zeno is under control. Dr. Moon is in disbelief and shows and explains to Julia all of the changes the Zenos have exhibited. Julia is unfazed and asks Dr. Moon if they've moved, and have any of them moved, really. And all that matters is that they keep making eggs and for the results they need. Brenda, after some silence, admits that no, they haven't moved, but she thinks that they all should be terminated before they find out what could happen next. Julia tells her that she will do no such thing, and on top of that, Julia wants no more killing of the xenomorphs before they grow bigger. Dr. Moon warns Julia that they don't know enough about fully grown xenomorphs, and what if they can communicate? and the queens. Julia interrupts her to tell her that she appreciates all that Moon has done, but to destroy something purely based on a hunch? Dr. Moon tells her that she would fear them and respect them, and on top of that, they don't have a security team or any means to defend themselves. Julia feels like she squashes Dr. Moon's argument by explaining that Dr. Moon doesn't seem to fear the parasites that she's made and developed, and they're going to be used on humans. Dr. Moon at this point is just speechless. Julia goes on to explain to Dr. Moon that the security thing has been taken care of, but it should not come to that. If that did happen, they would have to start back at square one. Julia tells Dr. Moon to either continue her work or hand over a letter of resignation. All Dr. Moon could say that was she was the boss. Julia says that she wants a report on the frozen eggs and exhibit and exits the office. Julia's watch beeped as she had an appointment deeper in the facility. Julia exited the elevator into the into a room that monitored all projects. The round of human trials would begin before any approval had been granted. Dylan, the poor guy, didn't even know he was part of the experiment. Julia introduces herself over the intercom and tells Dylan to take the sample. Dylan, being cautious, asks if it's safe. Julia lays the guilt on thick and tells Dylan to take the samples. He then gets dressed in a hazmat suit and enters the chambers to collect pieces of the egg. As he does this, a facehugger shot out, shattered Dylan's mask, and now Dylan lay on the floor. If all went as planned, the dosage should help tr transmit the bacteria. The assistant removes Dylan's helmet and confirms that both host and the Manumala Nox Hydra Hydria are still alive and the transmission appears to be successful. Julia says that this is good and that we need to let the bacterium do its work before the facehugger falls off. Julia tells them to put Dylan with the other four infected hosts. They were kept in a secure hatching room. Damn, some shit. It's the fun. Yeah, it does. Um, I guess I didn't summarize it because, again... Um, but I, I really liked the way that the author explains the changes in the Xeno Queens. Like, what did, did you, did you, I'm assuming you felt the same way about like the, uh, their stubs growing and stuff. Right. Yeah. The stubs and then, um, how they make use of the lower mandible, not being there as well as it kind of seems like their skulls are, um, like accepting this crown that has been put on this, this like termination crown, you know? I remember that part a little bit less, but yeah, as far as like their limbs, like semi regrowing and stuff, I remember that. Yeah. I don't, I just, I thought it was cool. And it goes back to 
I didn't even think of the possibility of Xenomorphs being able to evolve. And I really like the way that Brenda Moon describes it as like a form of silent evolution, you know? Um, I just, yeah. What can't they do? Yeah. Going back to your argument. Yeah. It's, it does seem kind of weird that it's like silent, you know, because normally evolution is something that takes like a long time. You don't really notice the changes, but I mean, they're seeing these changes right in front of their eyes. Right. Um, I also thought it was fucked up that Julia convinced the board at Wayland Utani to allow her to oversee these decisions. Um, but of course, terminating the Queens doesn't align with her and Ramon's plans. So they're just conniving pieces of shit, those two are. Yeah. Yeah, they're slimy. I don't know. I just the whole side by side thing and like Ramon and, and Julia working together. And granted, I am like extremely biased at this point because I don't like either character, but I just I kind of feel like it's a delusional fairy tale, you know? Like just this whole we're gonna it almost just seems like world domination y. Like we're gonna <laughs> rule the world because we have these weapons and we can sell these weapons, but we still own them, so don't fuck with us. Yeah. It does feel that way. Yeah. And it just even more so, like, I know that in the last chapter, Ramon showed up kind of looking like, I, I guess I interpreted it as he probably had a huge argument with Marianne, but I, I, I just, I feel bad for Marianne and, and his children. Um, it sounds like he was able to convince his wife to let him go. And when he settled, they would join him on Olinka and his kids would attend the best boarding school in the meantime with the assumption that they'll understand because it sets them up in the future, the wealth and the knowledge. But I don't think that Ramon is recognizing. And I think that this is probably what him and Marianne got into it about is that they're essentially not going to have a father, you know, like just that the dad that works all the time and never pays attention to their kids is, is what I'm getting out of it. And I'm, I'm just so anti that, you know, that I, I just, I would, would give anything for my kids. Like I would, give up my passions and my hobbies for them you know right yeah i I hear you yeah i think i mean i think ramon was gonna go regardless though i mean i don't i don't think it mattered to him i think he was you're you're probably right there's an argument but he didn't care what she said he was just gonna go right well because i mean like it's clear that that he favors julia over marianne yeah well for sure yeah um the other thing that uh i i ended up thinking about way too much maybe is she, you know, before she goes into Cairo or cryo, she has thoughts about Jacob Vickers and how he was unfit for the job. And she couldn't believe that the board would put him in the top spot because he was nothing like his grandmother, Meredith. But I mean, I guess for me, it's been a while since I've like really watched Prometheus, but I'm not entirely sure what Julia means here because I'm guessing based on her comparison between Jacob and his great grandmother meredith julia tells us that jacob is a humanitarian which insinuates that meredith was not but i don't really remember much from meredith outside of the fact that she is kind of self-deprecating and is jealous of david and he's a synth but has her father's love but david has her father's love more than her those are the only two things that i could really pull from or remember from prometheus so i don't know if this is just kind of like of way of adding a little bit more of a backstory like it kind of sounds like meredith vickers more aligned with ramon and julia's mentality is kind of guess what i'm loosely getting off of that i i think you kind of i think you pretty much nailed it i mean i i feel the same way yeah she was i think she was pretty jealous of david that he had her father's attention 
So I would, I, I agree with you on that. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I feel like Dr. Moon, Dr. Moon and Julia's argument seems very one-sided and we know that it's not, we know that the intention isn't for the common good. It's purely just to perpetuate Julia's plan, which I think is just, it made me sad to read that because it's just like, it's an argument that you're not going to win. And I think Dr. Moon recognized that. Yeah. Things are going in a bad way, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then of course, Dylan, uh, with the whole face hugger thing, uh, you know, I just, up until just a little bit ago, as I was reading the summary, it never really, it never really occurred to me what exactly the whole transmission of bacteria was. Did you, did you make a connection there? I am not sure that I did. Okay. So the bacteria is meant to, it's, it's basically meant to kill the, the xenomorphs, right? Like that is its sole intention. So my question always came to, well, why would they want to transmit the bacteria to something that would kill it? But I think it's so that they can be remotely, remotely detonated. So once the bacteria is in the xenomorph, from birth, it can be activated to kill it if it ever goes rogue. So that's their like way of controlling the xenomorphs, or their attempt to rather. Which I still don't really know how that's gonna work. Right. You know, but whatever, I guess. I feel like Dr. Moon is on to something with the silent evolution because even if they are going to transmit the bacteria so that they can be remote controlled, so to speak, I think that this silent evolution that Dr. Moon is observing. Uh, more than likely would eventually evolve out of the xenomorphs because it's not good for them. You know what I mean? Like their immune system would have a way of, of making sure they can't get it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, they could. Yeah. The only, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility by any means. (laughs) Maybe it's a question we ask V. Um, Definitely can. Yeah, totally. The only other thing that I have for this chapter was the uh, Manu Mala Nox Hydria. I had no idea that that was like the correct way to say face hugger. Um, I have seen that in one of the omnibus books. I don't remember which one. Gotcha. Yeah. I just, I thought that was cool. I didn't, I didn't, uh, yeah. Thought I'd mention it in the event that uh, listeners didn't know that as well. Yeah. I don't, it's not something that's come up very much, but I know I've seen it in at least one book. Yeah. Um, Did you have any other thoughts on that particular chat? I, I did not, but. Yeah, whenever you're ready, I'm uh, I'm good to go. All right, I'll take it away here. The year is 2201. The crew was awakened from their long nap. They were not quite yet to their destination, but they were close. Everyone went through their own wake-up routine and prepared to meet for breakfast in approximately an hour. When breakfast arrived, Letitia knew something was up because it was a gourmet setup. It felt like a last meal. She thought at least her and her team would eat well before whatever suicide mission was revealed to them. Her team didn't know her brother like she did. They were all excited for the meal, though Jacob wasn't eating. Letitia asked why, and he said he was nervous. Nerves like being in love for the first time. Letitia said he needed to eat something before he addressed everyone. He introduced everyone to planet E2, Earth 2. It had been terraformed to be like Earth's long-lost sister. Its formal name would be Alinka. He had said it resembled Iceland. There was some water on the planet, but it was a good idea to stay out of it. Until Ramon became involved in the planet, there was only one Wayland yutani facility to stake their claim to the planet, and most of it was underground, so this was virgin territory. Since that was the case, no one would be allowed to explore their surroundings. Jacob opened a picture of the pyramid Ramon had built, saying it would be their home base. Jacob called out Letitia and introduced her as the director of security and let everybody know, no matter what's found, 
no matter how much it could revolutionize the world or humanity, if Letitia said move, you move. No exceptions. They don't expect anything dangerous, but it's best to stick, to stick together. He reiterated that some of the people here reported to Ramon and others to him, but they all answered to Letitia in any sort of emergency. After the presentation, Ramon approached Letitia and told her to be careful with Jacob. If she wanted something on the side, that's cool, but he wasn't just some guy. He was the company. His advice was to let a little time pass before pursuing things. Desiree approached and said they were ready to descend to the planet. She thought three dropships would do. Letitia said to get the team ready and she would let Jacob know it was go time. This was Letitia's first time formally leading her own team. And while they traveled down to the planet, she had a, a pep talk for the crew. They need to stay in constant communication. She wants to know everything. She tried to read the room and see how everyone was feeling. When she got to her brother, he wouldn't even look her in the eye. Physically, he was there, but mentally, she didn't know where his was. Maybe he was thinking about his family back home. Whatever the case, it would be revealed in its own time. They landed and touched ground on Olinka, and it smelt like absolute shit thanks to all the sulfur. Jacob was excited and couldn't wait to get things up and running on the planet and bring in more scientists. They approached Olinka 1 from their rovers. In this moment, she felt proud and wondered what her mother felt like when she made the trip to her first. They got out of the rovers, and the scientists, the scientists did their thing while Letitia soaked in the moment absorbing her surroundings in wonder. After taking everything in, she set back to work, securing the perimeter, setting up cameras and sensors. Ramon asked what Jacob was thinking for the day. He said, surveying. Letitia said anyone going beyond the grass would need a scanner. Tents would be set up on stable ground and no one wandered alone. As the light faded, all work beyond the perimeter was stopped. Ramon and Jacob did not protest. They made their way back to camp as dark approached. The Marines walked the perimeter to make sure everyone was accounted for. Letitia would not have preventable mistakes. Nathan looked to the sky in admiration and said what he wouldn't give for a beer. Letitia pulled out a, bo a bottle of Fireball to pass around. She took the first drink, and as she passed it to the next Marine, she asked what brought them all on this mission. They all immediately replied that it was the money. After about an hour, Letitia left the rest of the group, flashing Jacob a smile. He also left. She made it back to her spacious tent that was lavishly furnished. She was reading some reports on her tablet, and she heard Jacob at the door asking if he could talk to her. She was not dressed and fumbled for a robe while stumbling over her words to Jacob asking for a moment. She opened the door, and he had two bottles of alcohol. He asked if she would join him for a drink. She accepted. She said she wanted him to come in. He wanted to talk about plans for the colony. She asked if that's all he came to talk about. He asked what else would he have came for. Letitia said she was going to do something stupid. He told her to do it. They both finally got what they had, what had been a long time coming. <laughs> After the romp, Letitia, Letitia asked if Jacob had been completely honest, honest about everything on Olenka. It seemed too good to be true, and when people lied, that's when things went south. Jacob said there's nothing they don't know about, and he trusts Ramon. He said he didn't plan on running this planet like a dictatorship. It would be a democracy. She told him he should know a utopia doesn't exist. Humans weren't capable. It was in that moment she saw his eyes waver, a barely noticeable tell, but she picked up on it all the same. Jacob said he accepted her challenge. As they went for round two, she saw a message from her brother on her watch saying Jacob was nowhere to be found, and now she wasn't answering either. He didn't want to warn her again. Be careful. 
Oh God. Did you, uh, in, in this chapter, did you get a sense of like when you were reading it, like calm before the storm? Um, I guess not really that I remember, um, kind of what I felt a lot of was like in Prometheus when they touched down on the planet and they're just getting stuff set up. Right. Yeah. That's or kind like, of what this reminded me of. Or Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, in the original, in the alien movie, when they all wake up from, uh, cold storage, so to speak. And, uh, they're just kind of getting settled. They're eating, getting everything ready, prepared, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I really like, though, in this chapter, how Letitia kind of seems like she's coming into her own as a leader. Uh, it got a good sense of confidence from her, particularly throughout this chapter. Yeah, she seems very calm and collected, like very much like I would, would think like if Vasquez in the movie was was leading something i mean you never really saw her panic no you never did i mean obviously like there were some there were some pretty rough spots for her but i don't know that she ever really panicked she might have had a little bit of a temper but i think it was more just like reaction you know just her reacting to uh you know things that were happening uh to her yeah yeah i agree yeah i i guess i don't really have a lot for this particular chapter mainly just because like it felt it felt very transitional it felt very kind of ominous like the whole uh when they're bringing out the meal how it seemed to be some type of fancy dinner and she just gets this gut feeling that it, it it was the like last meal or something like that um so it yeah and and also she's sensing she's some sensing something with her brother and that's just because she's the one here who knows him the best you know so ramon is probably not doing the greatest job of hiding anything at this point no i don't i don't think so um i guess my one kind of takeaway from this section was how ramon is kind of hypocritical here where he's telling her to you know uh, hold off on things a little while before pursuing something with this. But Ramon's telling her to back off from pursuing this relationship, at, at least for a little bit when, I, I mean, nobody was telling him to back off when he's he's playing two different women, right? And even if somebody did, you think he was going to listen to him? No, you I took the words it. right out of my mouth. No, I don't think he would have given a shit. Ramon's going to get what Ramon no, wants, no, I don't you think know, so. in any way that he can. I mean, I guess I kind of get it, too, because he's trying to protect his sister. But, I mean, this is probably not the thing to get hung up on about protecting her from or with. And, I mean, particularly with Ramon and Julia's plan, right? Like, there's definitely some ill intent there. And if you're trying to protect your sister, like, this is not, that's not the way to do it. Like, hey, let's bring you on and and you could just be, uh, you know... A, a witness essentially to all of the madness that you know isn't going to go right because what does right yeah no, nothing, nothing. but yeah i guess i yeah like i said i didn't really have a ton to pick out it's just a, a very like calm before the storm is the sense that i got when i was reading it you mentioned that i think it makes sense i feel like i should have picked up on that because i mean we both knew at some point in this book things were going to go to shit and right. I, I feel like now looking back at it this should have been a pretty good sign of you know this is about where things are going to turn for the worse yeah exactly exactly Muff, you're ready uh i am ready to move on awesome dylan was tied to a gurney and it was moving 
A heated blanket covered him to his chest. He had the worst case of heartburn he'd ever experienced. We all know it's not heartburn. It had to have been the thing that jumped out, but the doctors assured him that there was nothing inside of him. He flexed his hands to test his strength. The motion stopped and the sound of a metal door being opened was heard. He could feel the straps easing off his chest and legs. He opened his eyes and used the full of his body weight into the assistant, knocking them off balance and swiping their key fob. He secured the door and then scrambled into a hallway. Dylan found another member in the hallway and quickly drove him into the wall, knocking him out. Grabbing this key fob, he looked into the window of a door where a man was rubbing his chest. Dylan opens the door and tells him to move. With fury and vengeance, he sat out to find more like him. The alarms wailed. He spotted a row of windowless doors and he swiped the fob. But Dylan didn't wait to see who emerged. Julia was in her office when all the lights flickered and then went blue. Julia scrambles to call the office of Dr. Moon. The doctor appeared and Julia told Dr. Moon to get him. But by all means, do not unleash or activate the bacteria. Dr. Moon says that she's on it and that she would do everything that she could to prevent the xenomorphs from escaping. Julia could do nothing but watch the chaos ensue on the wall monitor. She was still pacing when the alarm notified her that the sector called the pen had been opened. A fear she had never known slid down her spine. At this point, she was still pacing. She attempted to get a hold of Brenda Moon uh, via the location on her watch, but with no luck. Uh, With a scrap of hope, she called the video comm to Moon's office. The connection opened, but it wasn't Brenda. It was Dylan. Julia begs Dylan to stop this and attempts at bribing him. Dylan calls her out as Dr. Moon had all the files open and Dylan knew that Julia was lying. Dylan tells her that she's going to die and the video ends. Julia enters a pod of some sorts underneath underneath her desk. And once she was inside, she can send an alert ping to Ramon. She would not exit unless it was for boots or weapons. Deep within the pyramid, Dylan opened the gates of hell. A small Xeno apprehensively waits before leaving the room. Other locks begin to click as other Xenos were released. The small Xeno encounters a synth and severs it in half. As the synth stares at the ceiling, it speaks out, out loud two commands. Send all files, Utani and Vasquez. Julia was awakened by some water dripping on her foot. She was pissed at this because the safety pod was supposed to be air and watertight. She turns on the monitors to get a handle on the situation. The images were worse than she expected. Everything was quiet with not a soul in sight. Julia turned off the monitors and hoped that Ramon would get there soon. She had seen that he had landed. Yeah, so... This this chapter is, uh, you know, it's broken down quite a bit into a lot of, I guess, perspectives, uh, particularly with Julia. So as you're listening, it may not sound quite right, but if you imagine between those awkward transitions, uh, some time passing, then it everything will click into place. So I think that's what screwed me up there um at the beginning but no worries yeah what uh damn dylan what a little asshole um yeah this so this this part it kind of reminded me a little bit of alien or aliens cold forge uh that book um which is is a pretty good aliens book um i won't tell you too much about it like spoilers and stuff in case you read it at some point but sure yeah it was it it kind of felt the same 
to to some degree for me. But yeah, kind of a dickhead move. I get it though. I mean, he's pissed. Just, just I guess going for collateral damage, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, also, you know, the whole part where clearly makes it his way to Doctor Moon's office, and Doctor Moon conveniently has every single file opened up on on her computer, so Dylan was able to read all that stuff. So and it, see how just fucked he was. <laughs> yep, yep, and so you know why not? Let's go unleash literal hell. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, I'd be pissed off and bitter about it too so might as well if i'm going down with the ship i'm going to take everybody else i can with i guess right and it's just it's funny because at this point you know after all these events occurs julia is is scared shitless uh and she's still hung on to the fact that this incident wouldn't look good for jacob just baffles me how she's not even taking in the gravity of the situation you know what i mean like she was notified that something called the pen had been opened we can all know what the pen means right and yet she's still held on to sabotaging jacob that she doesn't even realize the gravity of the situation which i just think well she's got her she's got her panic room so i mean yeah i mean i'd be scared too but if i guess if i've got a panic room to go to i'd maybe be a little bit more comfortable for the time being but I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be there for too long. <laughs> right. I just it just clearly shows the ignorance of what xenomorphs are capable of and Julia's completely discarding that fact. I th- I think it's that and I uh, along with what you're saying, just the, the arrogance of what she thinks her own power is. I mean right. clearly she thinks she's above them. I mean, you are just very quickly not at the top of the food chain. Um you are the food chain mm-hmm. now. Um, <laughs> the birth chain. And, yeah. So I, just to think that you could have power or control or influence over these things is just flat out incorrect. And I, 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 like you had talked about before, just the, the respect factor. She has no respect for them. Right, right. I, I think it's just like I associate it to a, a conversation that I often have well, not, I mean, I guess not very often, but, you know, every once in a while and like team building exercises or just interactions with, with people, you know, you'll get on the topic of like, who's your, what, what's your favorite animal? You know what I mean? And I always, I always tell them like, I'm absolutely fascinated by crocodiles, right? And have been for a long time. And, you know, sometimes they'll ask, well, would you ever consider having one as a pet? And I'm like, fuck no. Like, (laughs) I know what these things are capable of. Like, they are interesting and intriguing creatures to me, but I will never in my life own one. Even if I go see one at a zoo, like I'm keeping my distance. Yeah, it's a good plan. Yeah, yeah. I do not want to be death rolled. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good time. (laughs) <laughs> no, but yeah, I guess outside of that, it's uh things are escalating quickly. And um, I know that based on some events that happened later, but in this particular chapter, I was under the assumption that Dylan killed Dr. Moon. Did you get that impression as well? I guess I don't really remember. I mean, he could have, or could have just been, you know, the pen being opened and something got her from there. I guess I don't remember offhand yeah but it, it, it wouldn't be anything that i would be surprised at no not at all like i mean again when you when you know you have nothing left to live for i mean you're 
likely to do anything. Yeah, but how pissed does Dr. Moon have to be in this moment? You know what I <laughs> like mean? I fucking like, told you all. I told you all this would happen, and now it did. Right, because she respected these creatures. She knew exactly what they were capable of, and nobody wanted to listen because they all had selfish motivations. Yeah. But I guess that's all I got mm-hmm. to say about that. Okay, Forrest. <laughs> you ready to run to the next chapter? Oh! Oh! oh. <laughs> I just kept on running. I just kept on running. Well, that's a good movie. Gonna have to watch that one again soon. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right, chapter 25. There was a beautiful morning. Letitia and Jacob kept some distance between them, but they couldn't keep their eyes off each other. Desiree sat down next to her and said she could get used to this treatment. And the planet wasn't bad either. Letitia asked if she would consider staying long-term if the money was there. Desiree said they had a good team and she would go, quote, to the steps of hell to kick the devil's ass with her. Letitia was about to respond, but she looked at the sky as she heard a vehicle. Ramon came running out of the tent, saying there was a dropship with an emergency beacon incoming, and they can't make contact with the flight crew. Letitia had never seen her brother look like this before. He was clearly more terrified than he had ever been before. He said they needed to get to Olinka 1 as soon as fucking possible. How quickly could they get there and be prepared for combat? Letitia grabbed Ramon to take him outside to talk. Desiree gave her a hand signal to indicate the team would be battle-ready. She told Ramon to keep his voice down and everyone else to stay inside and keep eating. Nobody was to leave until they came for them. The dropship was weaving all over. Either whoever was flying didn't know how, or they had sustained damage. Ramon said he could remote into it and detonate it, as they had no president to answer the emergency call. He said Jacob had every right to get rid of it without legal issue. He was, after all, Wayland yutani Letitia didn't understand how things progressed from an emergency call to blowing it out of the fucking sky whoever was inside was obviously in real trouble ramon was a mess pacing and sweating profusely this was not the cool collected brother she knew she asked what he wasn't telling them any lives were that were lost were on him he told her to have the team combat ready and he would explain later letitia told jacob to get to their dropship and seal it shut he started to argue and she reminded him this is what he was paying her to do so shut up and listen. Ramon led him up to the ship. Letitia put her red bandana on before her helmet. She told Muhammad he would be the medic. Told Frida to get everyone else to the ships. They didn't have much time. She told the others to form a perimeter as best they could and be ready as soon as the ship touched down. The fog was rolling in too. Visibility was not good. She reached out to Ramon in the comms, asking again what he wasn't telling her. Suddenly, he was at her side. He said nothing and it was quiet. It was quiet enough. All you could hear were their heartbeats. The back hatch of the ship opened and a man emerged. He cried out for help and that he had valuable information. Muhammad started to run to him, but Ramon stopped him. Jacob came from his secure location saying this was his project and he needed to see this. Letitia tried to get him back to his ship, but he refused. Letitia said to be ready. This didn't smell right. Jacob asked Ramon what the hell was going on. Ramon told everyone to stay away from the ship and the man. He was as good as dead. He told Letitia she needed to trust him. The man stumbled closer and fell to the ground. They could see he was not in good shape. Something burst out of the man's chest, and Letitia put around through the little monster, killing it. They heard a loud hiss from the dropship. Muhammad dropped his bag and grabbed his pulse rifle and was next to Letitia. 
Two adult Xenos emerged out of the ship. The scientist tried to run, but was cut down by a pouncing creature. Letitia called out to open fire. As it was cut down, a drop of its blood hit Frida, and she cried out in pain. The second monster tried to get away. Letitia screamed out that they couldn't let it get away and to blast it to hell to do whatever they had to do to kill it. Nathan dropped his rifle and used the flamethrower, but it was too late. The alien had leapt through the flame and with one hand ripped Nathan clean in half. Muhammad, stricken with grief, shot every round he had into the now-dead monster. Letitia knew she would need to deal with her brother, and it would be ugly. She called out for him. Jacob stepped out of a dropship and said they were here. She told him to start talking. Jacob didn't know what was going on and promised it wasn't him. Ramon backed him up and said he was telling the truth. Letitia told her brother she didn't have time to bullshit. She didn't care who he was. She would make sure he got what was coming to him if any more of her people were killed. She told him he needed to come clean. Ramon said he knew this looked bad, but they had to stay calm. Letitia asked if this was an inside job to bring Jacob down. Ramon paused for a moment. When he spoke, he said Julia was at Olinka 1. There are colonial marines two days away, and there may be a xeno infestation. Letitia was pissed. Yelling at him, she said, these weren't bugs you could squash under their boots. What about that guy? Was he contagious? Ramon said he wasn't, or isn't, but they should get rid of him in a geothermal vent just in case. They had been using them as a bio-waste disposal system. Jacob was furious at hearing this and ready to tear Ramon's head off. Letitia told them both to leave and that Ramon was on cleanup duty since he made this mess. Ramon helped dispose of the man that came off the dropship into a vent trying not to gag. He also helped with the Xenos, though they dissolved slower and their skulls came back to the surface. Muhammad took care of Nathan on his own to bring himself some peace. He wore Nathan's dog tags as he said his final goodbye. Ramon asked what the plan was now that cleanup was done. Would they go get Julia, pack up, and leave? Fuck no, said Letitia. They were going in. They weren't going in unprepared. Not even for that Wailing Utani princess. Ramon said that he knew this place better than anyone, and they needed to go get her now. And reminded Letitia uh, that they couldn't afford to waste time. Reminded reminded her that Letitia said that they couldn't afford to waste time. Letitia said no more time on wasted lies is what she meant. Eyes locked onto each other. Ramon finally relented and said, fine. In the pyramid, the Xenos wreaked havoc, looking for weak points, smashing into anything, throwing anything, killing any humans they came across. The youngest creature slid through a door Dylan had opened. Above it, a larger Xeno hissed and slithered into an open office. Yeah, yeah, shit hits a fan real quick. <laughs> well... Our uh, our Minnesota homeboy's gone. Oh, was it Nathan? That was uh, I totally forgot. Uh, it was Nathan or Muhammad? That was from Minnesota. I'm pretty Got sure it was Nathan. Got it. I guess I don't remember specifically, but yeah, uh, was not was not expecting that at all. Was not expecting. Was expecting something from the Xenomorphs, but I was not expecting Nathan to just be cut down like that. Just yeah, leaping through the flames and just swiping up claw through him and there he went yep he was out and i think it's funny that uh at this point in time like ramon is kind of forced forced to explain some shit and but he still tries to avoid it yeah because i yeah, mean how do you explain it, it? <laughs> you know like, uh, guys i fucked up <laughs> mm-hmm. yep you done fucked up you did fuck up pretty badly yeah i think that uh I thought it was cool how they they got rid of the bodies, and I thought it was interesting that the Xenos like decayed or decomposed in the sulfur fields, 
slower, which just speaks also, to I mean, their toughness or whatever word you want to use, I guess. Something like that. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I I didn't have a better word for it. <laughs> <laughs> toughness works. Evolutionary advantage, yeah. maybe. There, yes, there you go. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Yeah. I, I guess it was such an action-packed chapter that I didn't, you know, everybody's just like I can I, I just I get a huge sense of of chaos and unknown. Like Letitia and Jacob are like, what the fuck is going on? You know, like they've never seen these creatures before. They're purely just operating off of experience and and reacting, right? Like they're just reacting to the situation, but they don't have time to sit there and think and analyze anything. And Ramon is still being a slimy little shit. Yeah. All their training just kind of takes over and leads them through the motions that they need to go through. Yeah. And even Ramon is... I said, yeah, I was just, I was just going to agree with your point of Ramon being a slime ball. He's just dirty. Yeah. It's almost like he's slippery, like an eel. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that I'd compare him to that. I mean, I guess he <laughs> no. does. He does know a lot of secrets, but no. Yeah. He's not, not using in the it. same way. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just, I said slimy fuck and I was reminded of the eel. <laughs> I, I knew where you were going. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Cool little little malazan tidbit in there i was picking it up cool but yeah i guess i was just gonna say that uh you know if i was frida at this point i'd be like yep nope i'm going home see y'all later <laughs> like my arm is pretty much singed to shit i have no idea what the fuck that was i'm out peace i think if you like i don't i don't think you'd actually be like that think i don't so? think you'd give up on your no i don't think so like like it would suck and yeah you're probably scared but you're like you're there with your team like you all count on each other and i i know like you would be just the same like you're not gonna like bail on your team that's fair you uh holding me accountable here um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're right you're right but i don't know it's just i'm not I'm not saying you wouldn't want to leave, but right. I, I don't. Th- I don't think you would actually do it. Go through with it. Okay, that's yeah. fair. I mean, they did. They did somewhat I'd- well in removing this threat that they've never seen before. Yeah, there were some casualties, but they all banded together and and took care of what they needed to be taken care of. Yeah, we did as best they could. Right, but um, I'm I'm sure that they they learned very quickly. So yeah, but I guess outside of that, I don't I don't really have much much to say it was just very action-packed very cinematic um kind of bringing that tension uh right back right back into the thick of it um comparatively to the last chapter which was a little calm mellow uh preparatory you know so right but yeah if you're if you are good i'm ready to move on to the next chapter i'm great sir you are good to go all right this one's a little bit of a lengthy one um Julia couldn't put it off any longer. The pool of water was getting larger, and water kept coming in. She looked at the monitors and saw nothing. Equipped with a flare gun, she opened the hatch door and looked around the room. She observed the door being open and thought to herself that it should have shut automatically. No sign of the xenomorphs from what she could tell. So she emerged from the pod and approached her console on her desk. A banner blinked, live feed. This whole time, her monitor in the pod hadn't been a live feed, and the amount of bodies she saw, and the rooms and hallways were covered in some type of bizarre resin. The aliens had made this place their home. Julia thought, well, fuck them. 
and hated the thought that they would all have to be terminated when backup arrived. She would log in remotely and terminate the queens. She went to close the hatch, but felt something sticky and wet. Bringing her hand back to take a look at it, she noticed something she hadn't noticed before, and that was a hole in the ceiling. She would have to open the door to her panic room to see the extent of the damage, but couldn't put herself to do it. She approached her console again and called up a list of security breaches. One in particular, the throne room, caught her eye. She reached out to tap the command button that would detonate the crowns that had been affixed to the top of the queen's heads. Black bony figures filled her vision and her head was snapped back and she lost consciousness. Letitia, Jacob, and Ramon sat under or sat around a monitor watching the footage of the drone that Desiree was operating. The drone made the drone made a slow approach to the pyramid. And unable to see anything due to the material that it was made out of, Desiree switched to bio-readings, movement, and heat. They all watched as the readings pulsed across the screen. Abruptly, words blinked that said human life was detected. Ramon exclaimed that there was human life and that they should move in. Desiree turned to Letitia and said that she agrees with him. Letitia didn't like the look of things or the situation. She asks her brother if the other humans are alive, but not alive, like that one guy. Ramon responds by telling her that they'll have to put them out of their misery, save Julia, and get out. Ramon also goes on to explain the layout of the pyramid. Jacob at this point turns to Letitia and explains that he doesn't like doesn't like Julia, but she's human, and in their competition got a hold of this news, it would ugh. and if their competition got a hold of this news, it could spell very bad things. Letitia commands that they are going in. Letitia leaves the tent with Ramon and Jacob following directly behind her. She calls for everyone to be gathered up. When everyone is all around Letitia, she gives everyone the lowdown. Her crew got their weapons ready and they boarded the dropships. Desiree takes off and they make their way towards the pyramid. Jacob and Ramon start an argument at the most inopportune time about why and how this happened. Letitia finally had to cut in to end their argument as they were getting closer and it wasn't going to help their mission. Ramon then explains about the pathogens and the secure spaces where the xenomorphs were worked on, and if he opens those doors, it's likely that it would open other larger doors. Letitia said that they were walking into a tomb, and they may just inadvertently release all the monsters at the same time. Ramon says that he doesn't know, but he'll try to figure out a hack. Jacob turns to Letitia and tells her that he doesn't know how to use a gun, and wants her to show him how. Letitia gives him a quick run-through on how to use a gun. Letitia explains that when they arrive, they'll need to create a perimeter of sensor mines, and it's important that they all stay together. Desiree, shortly after this, tells them all that they've arrived. Frida and Letitia took in the monstrosity of the pyramid, dark, silent, and full of creatures that were predators. Ramon approached from behind them and said that if they were to do anything, it should be now. Letitia simply tells him that he's welcome to go in. Letitia tells Friday to Frida, Friday, Frida to finish up prep and then get some shut eye. Jacob was next to her asking if he could help with anything. Letitia told him that she was going to go check on Mohammed and Desiree, and when she came back, she would give him another lesson in guns. Frida and Mohammed were unloading and checking stock of the weapons. Desiree came running and told Letitia that there was an incoming communication for her on the dropship. It was their backup. Letitia explains to the man that they are spending the night and going into Olinka in the morning. They tell her that they are on their way and to stay alive. 
She left the dropship and explained to everyone the news and tells everyone to get some sleep as they'll push into Olinka in the morning. Letitia sat for a moment gathering in the stars and was instantly reminded of her mother. Ramon approached and told her that he needed to speak with her in private. Ramon tells her that he's been, he's seen all their mother's files and that the xenomorphs killed her, but she died a hero. Letitia asked why then bring the xenos here. Ramon responds by saying he thought he could control them, and being that it was his possession, he controlled death itself. Letitia wipes her eyes and tells him that he has a way with timing, and that he better do what's right when the time comes. She walked away from Ramon and went back to where Jacob was. He was ready for some more weapons training. Um, I don't know about you, but the whole panic room, just trying to visualize that in my head canon confused me a little bit. Because the pod was filling up with water, right? And I imagined that she like got out of her pod, but I think what was happening is that she like opened her pod to like look out from it, if that makes any damn sense. But when I read it, it was like I imagined her fully out of the pod, but that doesn't seem to happen until later when she opens it a little bit more to look at the the hole in the ceiling and that's when she gets out i i guess i felt like it was some of both um cuz i felt like it was kind of like this thing in the ground right right yeah and it must not have had you know a seal on it must have been bad or something where a little bit's leaking in and it's gradually filling her small space up and then yeah she's kind of peeking out and then yeah it gets all the way out that's kind of how i felt about it anyways yeah yeah i guess i guess both work but uh yeah i don't know for some reason it tripped me up quite a bit to the point where i probably read that paragraph like seven or eight times (laughs) the uh you know she says something where she touches like something like sticky or whatever like you picked up that that was like alien slime or whatever right right yeah absolutely absolutely okay i thought it was really fucked up though oh sorry continue my bad i was just saying like you know she's watching the camera from her pod thinking like nothing's going on and one of these things is like really fucking close to her right yeah i was just gonna mention that and the fact that this whole time she's been watching like a feed that wasn't live or you (laughs) know it was like a recording or something right because like how much how like fuck do you feel at this point like you see all of the bodies and you know at the end of the majority of the alien movies when like all of the scenery and the environment is covered in like all of those cocoons and just the the circular tunnels you know those organic shapes uh filling the hallways like that's the shit that like being that that's the way that i like to draw stuff like i envisioned it just beautifully yeah yeah just stepping out i think that would be a pretty surreal like moment thinking like oh well like yeah this sucks but it's not that bad and then you step out and see uh, people cocoon to the walls and just uh, this what do you call it like this thing this you know that the hive that the aliens created just all over the walls and stuff then i'd be like oh man yeah well i think i'm pretty well done for now Mm-hmm. yep yep a bunch of aliens in aprons decorating the place <laughs> Yeah, a little Susie Homemakers. I'm just exactly <laughs> like it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, the other thing that I thought was cool was that Letitia has caught on super quickly because she didn't like the look of the situation, clearly. Um, but 
she's able to deduce that what is happening in the pyramid is likely what happened when the dropship dropped and that guy came out and the chest burster exploded out of him. Like that is the main reason for her hesitation. You know, like when she's like, yeah, we can go in, but it's saying that human life is detected, but is it, are they alive? But do they have the shit in their chest? You know? Yeah. I mean, how eager are you going to be to go into that? <laughs> Not at all. I just thought it was cool to um, kind of read about her perceptiveness. And I thought that was cool and speaks volumes to her already amazing character. Definitely. Um, one thing that I, I didn't remember picking up as I read it, but more so it just kind of triggered in my mind as you were talking. And I'm not sure if this is anything you caught on, but uh, when Letitia is teaching Jacob how to use the gun, it, it's kind of the inverse from the Aliens movie when Hicks is teaching Ripley how to use the pulse rifle. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's cool. I, it just kind of dawned on me as you were reading it. I don't remember thinking that when I read the chapter. Yeah, I guess I guess the hard part for me is like obvious things I totally catch, but the subtle things that happen in the movies... I've seen them a million times, but I don't I don't ever watch them for the the story beats. I usually watch them for artistic inspiration. So, yeah, I guess I'm a little bit different. Obviously, I'm not artistic for shit, but, you know, so I'm watching it and and just feeling for the characters and that type of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Obviously, our, bra- our brains are different. Then that's OK. That's why we make a good podcast team. We're a good duo. I mean, <laughs> We're a good duo for sure. And uh, you, I mean, you are the artistic one and I have no problems about admitting that I am not artistic at all. So, well, I mean, you're better at being social. So, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm terrible at it. It's easy, easy. It's easy on the internet. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I just, you know, even with the internet, I still overthink shit. Yeah. You're good, man. Cool. Well, um, the other things that I really enjoyed is it was nice to kind of, I guess, from Letitia's perspective, as she's letting everybody, she's gathered everybody up and she's kind of telling everything, telling everybody about what's going on. Um, she was at least able to confirm with Ramon that reinforce, reinforcements were on their way enough so she could relate this to everyone that was not part of her crew. Um, I thought this was just another excellent leadership moment and i agreed with everything leticia said about her plan you know uh anybody who is not essentially lost lobos uh stay here don't do shit don't go anywhere stay the fuck put and live you know like she's taking everybody into consideration which i thought was great yeah i mean you're not gonna put anybody in harm's way but if it were ramon yeah you're right i mean yeah he would have just went head headlong in into things without thinking about anybody else. He right. Would've, everybody would have been locked and loaded with a gun going in there to get Julia and whoever died, died. Exactly. No skin off his back. Right. Um, I didn't talk about the, or I didn't summarize Jacob and Ramon's argument, but I wanted to, I wanted to kind of like talk about it and it's sure. just, it, it comes it essentially comes down to, I mean, we, we know that Ramon and, and Julia's plan was always to, to thwart Jacob. Um, and it all comes flowing out towards Jacob. And I thought it was great how Jacob is just calm, 
collected, cool. And he, you know, he retorts back at Ramon, I would imagine kind of like in a very direct, like, fuck you manner. Um, and essentially ends the argument by saying to Ramon that when this is all finished, that he expects Ramon's resignation. And I just thought it was great because, you know, Ramon is essentially at this point knocking Jacob for his humanitarian way of wanting to do things. Uh, and then eventually reveals their plan to him on how to get him out and all of the setup and everything that they've done to incriminate him. And instead of reacting the way that I would have, he's just like, well, I guess thanks for letting me know. But when this is all said and done, like you got to get the fuck out. You know, I just, I love, love that moment. It'd be, it'd be awfully easy to blow up at somebody in that moment. And he didn't, which just goes to show his character and, and really makes you like him more. And even, accentuates how angry you are at ramon yeah he's just a dirtbag yeah um the other thing that i thought was really cool is uh there was a little nod to the predators uh when leticia and frida are looking at the pyramid and the author is telling us that it's dark silent and full of creatures that were predators i just whether that was intended or not i thought it was a nice little nod you know to what i would imagine is the companion the companion series to the alien universe. I know I have seen uh V Castro post on Twitter that she would love to write a predator book too. I don't know what that story would entail, but I'm pretty sure I've seen her post that. Hmm. Maybe we can ask her about it. Definitely. Cool. I'm sure she's got some ideas for what she would do. Yeah. It's um, I guess the only other thing that I really had for this chapter was I thought it was kind of nice that Ramon was like humble for just a second especially when it came to talking about their mother and he actually apologizes for all of the shitty things that he said about his mom and then essentially compliments his sisters on following their mother's footsteps and i think that at this moment in time ramon is maybe having a change of heart a little bit i think that like he's still goal-oriented to save julia But I think at this point, he's realized the errors of his ways. And I think that in this moment, he also recognizes that this was not the right way to carry on the Vasquez name, but his sister did. I would agree with that. So I just, I thought it was, this is probably his only redeeming quality outside of that. He's a whore. Um, (laughs) Sorry. But yeah, those don't, those two really don't make any sense. Being a whore is not cool, but yeah i digress don't don't listen to that ignore that comment um yeah i guess this is the only thing that he like i like him for now at this this stage of his life right yeah at this moment where he's apologizing about the shitty things and then i guess what i'm assuming is a realization because as we'll read um he seems a a bit more gung-ho to work as a team rather than his goals yeah, it kind of had his come to Jesus moment a little bit. Right. Yeah, exactly. But those are all the things that I had for that chapter. That very, very intense, um, but small calm before the storm. You know, like it's totally set up for the next phase. You know, let's get some yeah. shut eye before we enter Olinka. You know, the the time is stalling a little bit so that we as the readers have some time to wind down. Right before it picks back up. All right. So I guess uh, take her away. All right. I'm not going to sing like you.
Letitia had planned on keeping watch, but Mohammed couldn't sleep. He told her they needed her leadership, so she needed to rest. This is one job she couldn't sleep on and to do it for Nathan. She apologized to him, saying it wasn't supposed to be this way. He knew. He felt foolish for thinking there was anything but war out there. Letitia drifted off to sleep. She awoke from a nightmare of a Xeno holding her by the neck. In the dream, she knew there was nothing she could do about it. She asked if the team was ready and if Desiree had the drone station still. She would need an eye above in case anything tried to break free. Desiree said it was in place and they were primed to fuck some shit up. They opened the door to the pyramid and Letitia pushed the team inside. What was there now no longer resembles anything made by human hands. It had turned into a hive and despite the heat and humidity, Letitia felt cold. Ramon guided them through the building, if it could still be called that. Finally, they made it to a lab. They saw containers with face huggers, some that appeared empty, and another with a microscope on it to show what the naked eye couldn't see. Letitia asked Ramon what the fuck this was. He calmly answered that they crossed Xeno DNA with the common tapeworm to be used to infect water systems. Jacob was pissed. He said he wanted nothing to do with this. They had fought hard to to bring clean water to people everywhere, and now Ramon was creating a weapon to do the exact opposite. They saw Xenos in tubes in various states of decay. Letitia asked Ramon what they were doing here. They can't be brought to Earth. They can't be tamed. They kill indiscriminately. Jacob chimed in saying he wanted an answer also. He said they are doing what they've always done, what they do best. Manufacture life and death. You can't build better worlds if you're fighting over them, so they sell to the highest bidder. These, the aliens, will stop the fighting once and for all because everyone will know their their superiority. Letitia knew he wasn't giving all the info. She said they can't fight it if they don't know what it is. He pointed to some small tubes with black material and explained it was a type of virus to stop the Xenos. A flesh-eating bacteria that passes between the Xenos and, when activated, can be lethal to humans also. Desiree asked what it did to humans. He gave no answer. Letitia said to burn the place to the ground. Ramon wouldn't hear it. He said too much was invested here to do that. No life was as valuable as what had been learned here. Jacob said heads would roll. Ramon said Jacobs would be the first. Jacob said he was no idiot and that Julia was probably the head of that particular board. Letitia told them to shut up and asked Ramon where they were going. He pointed to a location on, a, on the tablet. Letitia told Desiree to cover Jacob and then told Jacob he could expose all of this after so long as they survived. She told everyone to grab a vial since it would keep the Xenos at bay. She told Ramon to lead the way to Julia. She wanted to get out of there quickly. He said they were getting closer, but he was confused because it didn't seem to be the panic room she should be in. They walked into a room and their lights on the rifles showed a horror show. People stuck to walls, some still breathing, others with chest blown open. Muhammad said they needed to put those still alive out of their misery. Letitia agreed and then noticed rows of pulsating eggs. Ramon was struck by terror as he looked at the decomposing body of a queen. Ramon said it may be Lorena. They had more than one queen. They relied on them for eggs. He turned his light to the wall and was stunned and managed to utter the word no. What Letitia saw made her freeze instantly. Very well summarized, sir. Thank you much. Yeah. I guess the only comment that I can uh, think of is just, I guess from a reader's perspective, it's it's nice to like fully hear Ramon's plan um, that he was essentially going to do all this to s- sabotage Jacob. So I guess it's nice to finally get that payoff, you know, instead of just assuming and putting pieces together. It's like, here it is. 
all word vomited out. This was the plan. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just, you know, it shows how nasty people can be to each other. Right. I mean, the aliens are nasty. I mean, they kill everything and anything, but they're not being like underhanded and malicious and like planning things. They're just doing what they're programmed to do, which is still horrifying, but it's, it's different. I mean, you're not calculating somebody else's demise. Right. Yeah. It's not, there's no intent there. They're just, it's a survival for them. You know, it's a exactly. way of populating and, and reproducing, you know, unfortunately <laughs> humans are great hosts. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. Uh, yeah. I just, I thought that this, this chapter was, it was very transitional. Um, obviously we are left with a cliffhanger at the end. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, you can imagine, you can imagine this chapter in your head. They walk into the pyramid, they find some labs, they find questionable things. And Ramon is essentially maybe not forced, but maybe is guilted, right? Like he feels guilty at this point, uh, kind of going back to our turning a leaf conversation, um, in the previous chapter. And then, yeah, they stumble across some fucked up shit some biomechanically amazing shit it kind of it kind of reminds me of if i'm going to relate this chapter to the aliens movie when the marines are looking for all the colonists on the planet and they they make their way into the hive and find everybody like that's what it feels like to me before before the battle like that point leading up to it sure so i imagined the exact same thing was that part in the aliens movie so do you think that being that that was the one that had Vasquez in, there's a similar order of events, you know, cause like, I guess, how do you mean? Cause the whole, the whole theme, I guess, is, is carrying on the Vasquez name as well as adding in some very clever deception. I mean, when you pick up the book, you think you're, you're reading about Jeanette, right? But you're not. And so, well, I mean, you do for a little bit, but well, right. not throughout the whole book. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like the author is paralleling Letitia, Jeanette's daughter's story with Jeanette's. And not that I'm not trying to say that like that's a bad or a terrible thing by any means, but I think it's just kind of one of those things where like Jeanette unfortunately had an untimely demise. Um, whereas being you have a similar situation with similar creatures, similar company, similar environment. And I guess would one reader like readers like ourselves are we going to see that parallel and then oh well Letitia's gonna die because you know that's the fate of their mother or do you think like no that isn't going to be the fate of her I guess it's just I don't know it just makes you think yeah I guess I mean I I didn't feel like she was in a ton of danger personally I guess I didn't I didn't think as deeply on it as you do you did but uh, we run into that uh, that a lot with Malazan. Also, you're yeah. always you're always digging digging deep, and I love hearing your thoughts. So this is this is still the same. I still love hearing what you're thinking. Awesome, cool. That's just your nice way of shooting me down. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not not it at all, man. Not at all. I'm just fucking with you. Um, <laughs> you do a good job. Thanks. Cool. Well, I guess yeah. I don't I don't have any other uh, conversations for that particular chapter. So you're good. I'm good. I am good. All right. Um, Ramon couldn't help but feel overwhelming grief as the light lit up Julia's face. Next to her was Dr. Moon. Some appeared to be dead for some time, flesh flaking away. After some initial words and I love yous, 
Ramon frantically tries to get Julia out. Julia tells them not to let the Xenos get out. They have to destroy them. She looks towards Jacob and tells him that he'll be blamed for all of this. Then she dies and Ramon screams in pain. A chestburster starts to emerge and Letitia fires four rounds into Julia's chest, killing the chestburster. Letitia apologizes to her brother, but he wasn't going to do it, so she did. Ramon seems to understand and tells everyone that they have to get to Julia's office, and it's not that far away. Before they could move, Jacob pressed his pulse rifle against Ramon's chest. Jacob asks what, asks what the hell they did that he would have to run. Ramon reveals that they plan on discrediting him with these projects, and they would keep them going while he got indicted. Ramon explains to everyone that he and Julia uh, had a plan for if things went south. All her files would be transferred to him and then to Letitia. Ramon pleads that she does the same. Letitia at this point is done with her brother's bullshit and lies. Ramon persists that they touch their thumbs on his tablet. This will allow them to have a code to unlock an electronic box. Jacob and eventually Desiree did as Ramon pleaded. Mohammed informs everyone that something is coming. The sounds began. Letitia tells everyone to keep their eyes in all directions. Ramon took the bag that was on his chest and handed it to Jacob. He tells Jacob that it's his lucky day as the contents inside are the bacteria and a chip with the formulas for activation. Ramon tells Letitia to take Jacob and run. Frida calls out that the Xenos aren't moving. Letitia calls out that it's the bacteria, like Ramon had said. It won't last forever, though, and they'll start picking them off one by one. She tells Desiree to go with Jacob now. Desiree grabbed Jacob's arm and they were gone. Letitia gave them some cover fire and she needed to get Ramon and the others out. She tells Frida that it's time to use her good arm. Frida used time grenades and expertly placed them within, within empty cocoons on the wall. When she went to throw the fourth, a Xeno hand grabbed her ankle. She screamed Letitia's name. As the Xeno lifted her up from the air, Mohammed pulled a grenade of his own and both Frida and the Xeno shattered as one. Letitia calls out to move, and Ramon leads the way. Ramon, typing as fast as he could, opened a ventilation shaft door, and they all entered it. Ramon continued to lead the way, as they all are making their way through the shaft. A voice on Letitia's comms asked for her. There was something familiar in that voice. It was Haas. Letitia explains to wait until they get out, and then destroy the pyramid. Haas says holy shit as she observes an open escape hatch and there's something coming out of there. Letitia tells Haas to kill them all, circle around the pyramid and blast them all. Haas is cut off as a blast is heard echoing through the building and her earpiece at the same time. The facility above them shook. You know, I just, no, it's rampant. It's, it's steady pace. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, so. I know no, you're, you're about to it, say something. It's fine. I was just going to talk about Ramon and him screaming in pain. Uh, it's just with Julia's death and all that he and her had done to get them where they are. And not to mention, he does have thoughts about what you kind of mentioned earlier about setting his sister up for success and just wanting her to have, you know, generational wealth as has been explained in, in previous chapters. I just feel like this goes to show us that this experience hasn't taught him anything. 
I would expect that he'd be filled with remorse, not clinging on to what he just lost. You know what I mean? But then again, I mean, in the situation, who's got time to think? You know, I mean, he's purely just reacting to her loss, but I don't think that he has made the thought that, like, he's the cause of this, right? Like, he caused all this. And part of me wants to feel bad for him, but the other part is just like, you did it to yourself, dude. Yeah, I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think he sees that. And it's just, it's sad. Sometimes, Sorry, go ahead. Sometimes. <laughs> I, was, I think I was going in a similar place, but uh, yeah, it's sometimes it's, if, he's a smart guy, but he's also kind of dumb and it's sometimes life is tough that way. Right. Yeah. I guess I just, I just thought it was sad that, you know, Julia before she dies is essentially telling them to like, they need to wipe the Xenos out and then get the fuck out. But this whole time, I just, it's funny. It's not until she's in the situation that she recognizes the Xenomorph's power. And unfortunately it's just too late, right? Like it's too late for Julia. And that's just, it's sad. Like to me, all that could have been prevented if Ramon and Julia just hadn't been backstabbing bitches. Yeah. Yeah. And now, yeah, you got one of those things bursting out of you. I mean, man, I'd rather be killed instantly than have one of those mm-hmm. blow out my chest. Right. Well, I think she died before the chest burster, right? I don't know. It could have been. I guess I don't remember. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think other than in the books and movies and stuff, I think the only time you see an alien come out of something that's already dead is in the special edition of alien three where it comes out of a dead ox yeah 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 that's exactly where i was going that's when you started talking about that i'm like yep alien three i guess i only watch the special versions i don't ever watch the theatrical cut i generally do too but i I want to see like the extra stuff like they filmed it put it in the movie (laughs) right exactly yeah give me a four-hour alien movie i'm good (laughs) right but yeah, I guess it just, you know, I know that uh, I just mentioned Ramon in the moment of Julia's death. I wasn't really thinking about uh, essentially all of the faults that got them there. But I think that, you know, at this point he is doing what Letitia wants him to do. And that is the right thing, you know, with the whole, you know, let me, because, and again, I didn't summarize it and I probably should have, because it may have been a little jarring, but uh, Ramon essentially asks Letitia who in the Los Lobos that she trusts and she was just like Jacob and Desiree and so they essentially scan their thumbprints so that they can have access to these files for Letitia to send them is what I gathered from that I don't know if if that if you had a different direction or interpretation of that um uh, I not that I remember I guess to be perfectly honest I think I, I'm probably gonna align with you on that okay all right so yeah, it's just uh Ramon is is trying to at this point make up, but it's just a little too late. Granted, in these moments, I feel like he's doing the right thing, but it doesn't at this point outweigh everything that he's done to get there. Yeah, it's like, too late. Right. Yeah, giving giving Jacob the the bacteria and the chip to use as evidence, um, as well as the whole file thing. So. Because from what I understand is that if in the event Letitia goes down, those files would be transferred to Desiree and Jacob. Somebody would have them. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that they could hopefully clear Jacob's name. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, outside of that, I, 
it was sad to see Frida go. That was, I mean, yeah. And I'm trying to think well, in the, in the book, didn't she describe, wasn't uh Leticia, wasn't she was described like maybe it was in a different part, but she was just getting like a shower of blood or something. Oh yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because I mean, from what I'm interpreting and you know, it's not as descriptive as, as one could maybe hope for, but I'm guessing that, you know, Leticia or not Leticia, but Frida is laying out, grenades into these empty empty cocoons so to speak to essentially blow the ensuing xenomorphs and one grabs her and then mohammed chucks a grenade at both of them and then yeah pieces right yeah they're on their way out they uh they found julia and they are on their way out ramon is making up for things he should have done a long ass time ago too late though yeah but with that i don't i don't have anything else to uh talk about all right. Well, we'll keep we'll keep running like our characters then. Yes. Let's run to the end. Desiree called out on her headset that the launcher was at the base of the pyramid and it would do its thing until it went empty. Ramon said Letitia had to see this as he gave her the tablet. It wasn't supposed to happen this way, he said. Two gunships were shooting down Xenos that were trying to escape. Two Xenos launched themselves at one of the gunships and managed to land on it, throwing soldiers out. The other gunship shot it out of the air as there was no saving it. She wasn't sure if this was the same Haas that had fucked her over on the promotion, but if it was, she was a cold-blooded bitch. Letitia spoke to Ramon and Mohammed and said they were getting out now. The backup was here. Ramon said he opened the door to the other side. Muhammad led the way, saying he wanted a first shot at whatever lay ahead. Payback for Nathan. Letitia was about to ask where they were. Ramon's eyes went above her head. She turned with her pulse rifle ready to fire. The queen descended. She was an ugly thing. She had no hands or feet, but had compensated by the stumps turning into bayonets. She saw that the queen was still producing eggs and had a small army of facehuggers trailing in her wake. Letitia said it was. It looked like a good opportunity for the flamethrower. They both opened up, torching the little bastards as Ramon led them away. They were nearly there, according to him. As they retreated, they shot at the queen. She had spit out a river of acid. As they turned to fire, as they turned to fire on the queen more, the queen snatched Mohammed and threw him into the air. As what was left of her tail wrapped around him. I think this is what I was thinking of, where Letitia got blood on her, because I guess. In your chapter, she would have got acid too. But Letitia had Muhammad's blood rain down on him as she screamed out and unleashed hell on the queen. She dropped Muhammad as she was reduced to a pile of a corpse. Ramon said they were close. Only about 10 more minutes, then they could find their way out. As they continued to run, Letitia tried to lead the way through the knee-deep water and muck, but Ramon kept pace. She told him to let her take point. She could see light from a blasted hole in the wall ahead. Zeno rose out of the water, stopping Ramon in his tracks. This thing was fucking huge. She yelled at Ramon to move so she could get a shot. Ramon spoke. So you are what we all chase but can't seem to tame. Perfection. He turned and the alien tail took him through the chest. He looked at Letitia with her gun drawn and told her to do it. He said he deserved it and not to leave unfinished business. She wouldn't cry until this was done and brought up her gun, but blood and body matter and acid flew in her direction. She screamed, the pain of losing her brother and the acid hitting her skin, but she stayed on her feet. In the entrance, Desiree stood with a pulse rifle. Desiree said she wasn't losing her too. Letitia asked for a status update. She said Haas was ready to land and looks like things were under control. She said they weren't done. They needed to burn this fucker to the ground. 
Letitia said she needed a minute. Desiree said she would cover her. Letitia used her pistol to shoot through the Zeno tail so she could take Ramon. He was the worst type of person. This had been the plan with Julia. Be that as it may, he was still family. Still blood. There was no salvaging this place. She would take only Ramon. Muhammad was in too many pieces, and there was too much going on that way to attempt it. She emerged from the building, dragging her brother by the arm. Jacob ran to her as she laid him down. He said how sorry he was, and she knew he meant it well, but she told him this was all his fault. He knew he was playing with the devil. Julia as well. He wanted to know what he could do. She said this place needed to go up in flames. They had what they needed. They would get no further answers here. He told her to do whatever she wanted. She said they would bomb this place to the ground and bring more troops down to make sure there were no Xenos left. Then he could rebuild how he wanted. The gunship landed and it was the Haas she knew. Haas had the same reaction. She said she had the same reaction when she heard the name Vasquez. They agreed to teamwork. There was no place for ego here. They plan- They would plant the explosives and level it and there could be nothing left to scavenge. They would get as many of the Xenos to the mud pits as possible. Letitia said she wanted to start with cremating Ramon. He should stay here with his work. Haas said to do what she needed to, and they would start the cleanup. And for what it was worth, she was sorry about her brother. She added one more comment saying she was an asshole for taking the promotion. She was humbled by it. It had taken her down a peg. Letitia said she appreciated it, and she said they were even. Good chapter. The only thing that caught me off, yeah. the only thing, when I was reading this, and things will unfurl in the next chapter. But you remember how they said that there were three queens somewhere in the beginning to mid middle of the book? Well, yes. up until this point, I had been counting how many queens they had encountered, and it was only two, two so far. So I'm thinking, okay, well, they're out. Everything seems to be, you know, I guess as far as an escape going according to plan. And I'm like, no. I knew better. I knew better because there were only two mentioned. I don't think I kept track of that. I, I, I'm weird, man. I just, yeah. So yeah, you are weird, but that's why we're friends. <laughs> well, vice versa, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cause like the first, the first queen they encounter when they first get in there. And I'm assuming that that queen was taken down um, in whoever was left's attempt to survive. And then this second one coming down, what I would imagine, like uh, some type of ventilation shaft that like leads to the roof or something. So, yeah, that's only two. And they don't mention them by name. So I know that the last one surviving has to be Lorena. I thought this one, I thought the second one was Lorena. Did they did they cut off the, the hands from all of them? The hands and feet of all of them? Yes, they did. Oh, okay. Maybe I didn't remember that then. That's why I was thinking that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but outside of that, I feel like um, the last thing we need to talk about is Ramon. I had uh, a little bit of imagery I wanted to bring up here first. Sure. Um, and it, it definitely involves Ramon. So maybe maybe you're going the same place I was. But um, in Aliens, we've got Newt getting snatched out of the water yep. by an alien. And we had very a very similar thing here. You know, the, it's explodes up out of the water and Ramon's looking up at it. So it happens a little bit differently because in, in the movie, I mean, we know Newt doesn't see it coming until the last second she turns around and sees this thing and it takes her. It doesn't kill her. Um, but I felt like it was interlaced with uh, Lambert's death from the first movie where, you know, they're getting the oxygen tanks or whatever the fuck they were for the escape shuttle. 
in the first movie and the alien comes up to Lambert and Parker's yelling at her to get down because he's got his flamethrower and he can't shoot because he's going to hit her. Yeah. So he can't do it. So I just thought that was very you know, similar takes, but I, I liked I liked how it, it worked out. And then, um, you know, Letitia didn't have to pull the trigger on her brother, which is maybe some small mercy that she didn't have to do it, even though she watched him die. Right. Yeah. I wonder if the, that's a, a question that we can pose to V. And just when she was writing this book, um, how much of, I guess, the movies did she use as like inspiration? Or did she have an alien movie fest <laughs> and just watch the movies to get reacquainted? Or yeah, I think that would just be kind of a cool question, something yeah. like that. What uh, what was it you wanted to talk about here with Ramon? Um, no, I just uh, I had the same scene in my mind, so I think it kind of goes back to what I was explaining earlier about just the uh, you know the the parallel the parallels between Letitia and her mother, but also like Ramon. I I guess I can't say that I have any empathy for his situation. However, I do have empathy for Letitia. Like, even though he was an asshole and what he did was immoral, she's still she's still in pain for losing her brother. Yeah. Yeah. There's at the end of the day, there's still family. Right. So I just I wasn't expecting Ramon to die. Um, I just thought that I feel like honestly him getting imprisoned and jacob being set free kind of like a you know admitting guilt in like some type of like corporal corporate trial of some sort like yeah julie and i planned this and then he ends up going to prison i felt like he got off easy by dying here oh really yeah all right i i guess i was a little surprised he died too but i guess i i, I don't feel like it was he wasn't deserving you know he you kind of deserved it <laughs> right right yeah absolutely absolutely but i guess outside of that it, you know very very action-packed chapter um not really a ton to to digest or dissect so to speak or amputate right <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. nice all right well uh here's my last chapter sounds good leticia and jacob are staring out at the sea the environment sends her in a flurry of thoughts she had accomplished so much, everything she dreamed of since she was a little girl. Then why did she feel so lost? As lost as before the letter from her mother. She reminded herself that she needed to find her internal compass again. Turned her hand to be palm side up and then felt fat raindrops. She was surprised that it rained here. Letitia and Jacob have a conversation about the files that were sent and the lies that Utani and Ramon had spread. Jacob asks why she wanted to scatter Ramon's ashes here. Letitia tells him that Ramon loved his damned boat, and she relives a memory and tells it to Jacob. This makes her well up, and she starts crying into Jacob's chest. She walked towards the cliff and then said goodbye to her brother as she scattered his ashes into the waves below. After this, Jacob must clear his name and fight against Waylon Utani and Letitia would be right there by his side. Haas had left the compound to find the civilians they left out at the sulfur fields. Letitia approached Desiree and asked if they had any weapons left. Letitia was told that there was still the narwhal, and Desiree had a pistol. Desiree also explains that when they all leave, the mines around Olinka would bring it to its knees. Letitia says good, and then tells Desiree that they need to bury the bacteria as its insurance for a later date if needed. She continues on to tell her that she needs to get some rest, and Letitia would do the same. 
Much later at nighttime, an explosion rocked the dropship. The Tisha and Desiree grabbed flamethrowers and rushed outside to see what had happened. In the darkness, they saw two xenomorphs twitching on the ground. Out from the bombed maw of Olinka, a queen xenomorph emerged. This was Lorena. Lorena was charging towards them. Letitia noticed the narwhal and noticed that it would do. She tells Desiree to get into a dropship and go. Jacob tells her no way and that they were staying. Desiree agrees and tells Letitia that she needs the backup. Letitia was speeding towards Lorena, launched a grenade, and it barely did any damage. Turning around, they sped towards the other this time. As Lorena jumped, Letitia fired the harpoon. The harpoon pierced her chest. She pushed the narwhal to the max. She sped past the dropship with Lorena being dragged behind. She raced towards the sulfur fields. The narwhal began to slow. Letitia thought that Lorena must have dug her legs into the ground. The narwhal skidded left and right. Letitia looked behind her. The Xeno Queen must have disturbed a sinkhole. The harpoon remained embedded and was dragging Letitia towards the sinkhole. She wasn't sure where she could jump, as the ground may not be stable. Her watch buzzed, and Desiree had sent her a map of the sulfur fields. Letitia released the harpoon cable, and as the engine died, she jumped from the narwhal. A belch of gas exploded beneath the Xena Queen, and she had fallen into her sulfuric grave. Letitia looked up, seeing Jacob and Desiree in the distance. She said thank you. The ground she was on was unstable. Letitia ran for her life. The ground shaking and crumbling beneath her feet. She makes a leap and knocks into Jacob. She was safe, and a large hole had opened up from where she had run. Heaving, she asks for some rich man's linker. liquor. Yeah, I, uh, I just, I really loved the cinematicness of the way that this chapter opens up. Um, you know, Letitia clearly, I mean, understandably so. I mean, she just lost her brother, you know, it has a moment where she has a similar feeling to that before uh, Rosanna gave her her letter from her mom. So it's just, I don't know. I just, I thought it was a cool scene um, and kind of made me doubt about Lorena. Like at this point in, in the chapter, I'm like, oh, well, maybe, maybe she won't emerge. (laughs) (laughs) And then she did. And then she does. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But I just, I thought that was a a very clever way of, of, of writing that chapter. Yeah, I agree. Did you ever get the sense as far as like, like the action oriented chapters? Did, did you ever feel like things just happened too quickly? Um, Sometimes. Yes. It, yeah. It felt like things like the ride was kind of over too quick yeah if if that's maybe an accurate way to put it into words i just always find it and i mean i get it you know it's media it's not like you can draw things out you know unnecessarily but i feel like this is a trope that a lot of of media has to do for the sake of we want this to be watched in a reasonable amount amount of time is that like you know the xenomorphs are, are built up into being this like evolutionary indestructible thing but then within a few paragraphs are destroyed you know so yeah I, I, yeah you're right <laughs> i guess i don't know i, I oh yeah you summed that up pretty well <laughs> i try man i try but yeah i guess I, I, you know it was very action oriented the summary kind of does does it justice and i don't 
I don't have anything to really pick apart. No, I, I don't either. Um, yeah, you did a good job and you know, things are wrapping up and, and we get our closure here. The last chapter now, if you're ready for that, unless you got anything else to add, take her home. All right. Nobody wanted to stay. Haas flew to Bamalinka one back to prehistoric times. Letitia, Desiree, and Jacob went back to the main ship that flew overhead. Still in shock from her twin brother being killed, she looked at the makeshift altar she had made. Some wildflowers, Olinka soil, a picture of their mother, and some of Ramon's ashes she didn't spread into the sea. She had obtained some paper, and while she would send letters digitally to Ramon's family, it felt only right that she put words to actual paper. The paper letters would be her promise to continue her mother's and bloodline's work. She had taken some Xeno teeth and a branch from a tree she would whittle down and create a weapon that her ancestors used. The Aztecs had used obsidian. She would use the teeth of her enemy and would use it against them. She wanted to kill as many of these fucking things as she could, then go after the people who were foolish enough to think they could tame them. Jacob entered the room asking if he could talk to her or if she needed more time. Letitia said they should talk. What were they doing? She didn't know how she could return to everyday life knowing what she knows now. Jacob had similar thoughts. He didn't know how he could set up a utopia anywhere when the Xenos and bacteria were out there. Letitia wanted to find out where they were from and nuke the planet from orbit. It was the only way to be sure. Calling it a genocide, Jacob said, what about all of the people who will die in that process? Did she want to hand out that death sentence? He asks if she read any of the files. She said a few of them, but couldn't concentrate. Jacob said it felt like stuff you'd find on a conspiracy website, but there were labs out there everywhere. It was only a matter of time until they hit Earth. So how about they use the bacteria wherever they can find them? They can become pest control. They continued talking and Jacob professed his love for her. He wanted whatever time he had left to be with her. In the short time he's known her, he had fallen hard and that Olinka could be his retirement plan. But for now, he could let it go and see what happens. For now, no one would be allowed on the planet. Letitia said it wasn't easy to let go. She had to let go of her parents, Rosanna, and now her brother. It wasn't easy, but she would trust the universe. She said she chose him for this mission, whatever it would be and however long it would take, but they could start that tomorrow. For now, she wanted to take him to bed. As soon as they went to the bedroom, she turned a light on and caught a reflection of her Santa Muerte tattoo. In the limited light, it turned into a Xeno. She looked away, not in the mood for that. One of her mother's red bandanas was always close wherever she slept. She kissed three fingers and touched the red reminder of her mother. The end. I thought this was a nice conclusion to the book. The Xenos are destroyed. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they're all. destroyed here. Right. Yeah. But it's, it, I definitely feel like this is definitely left open for a sequel. Or maybe, I don't know if a sequel, but like another story. I felt the same way. I felt the same way. I could easily see Jacob and Letitia uh, going about to other planets that are infested with Xenos, whether uncontrolled or controlled, and make sure that they don't, things don't end up terribly. Yeah. I just, I wonder about this weapon that she's crafting because it kind of feels like the weapon you only use once on a Xeno, because if you smack the shit out of one with this, you're going to get an acid bath. Yeah. I would think. I'm guessing it's some tor- some sort of spear. I guess I imagined it as like the Xeno teeth at the end of a staff. Kind oh, of like- I kind of got the idea of like a club. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Very well could be the club spear. Right. Yeah. It's like a baseball with a nail in it. Baseball bat with a nail in it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like Negan's bat in The Walking Dead. 
And I watched like five minutes of the first episode. That's all I've seen. Oh, yeah. I don't know. First three seasons are good, but then everything after that is okay. You know me. I'm not really a fan of stereotypical zombies. But yeah, I'd, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna ask what what kind of thoughts you had because I, I I mean it. You know, we get you know the the guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy. They get each other. Um, you know, there's some loss, but there's closure and and we've got we've got things left open here for more possibilities. Uh, you know, I think it wrapped up pretty nicely. I would agree with everything that you said. I don't know if I have anything else to elaborate on those sentiments. I, I feel the exact same way. Um, definitely open opened up for another one. And I think that's potentially something we could ask V. I'm not sure how everything all works um, as far as, you know, would they commission her to write a follow-up to this? But, you know, I I feel like at the end of the day, at the end of this book, I feel that Vasquez name was done rightly, you know, even though it wasn't so. the Vasquez that I initially expected, but I feel like the name has been, you know, uh, honored. Yeah, I agree. And and I like, you know, that the touch at the end, I, I liked a lot. Um, it's, it kind of feels two part though, because she sees her tattoo and she, her eyes kind of play a trick on her and she thinks she sees a Zeno and all I can feel like is she's she's going to have nightmares about these things. And I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, if you face these things, who wouldn't have nightmares about them? But she's not even asleep yet, and she's having a nightmare about it, right? She's already hallucinating, uh, yeah. So that's, that's, I feel like that's kind of dark, but just the, the bandana, you know, her mother's bandana that's right there, and then and touching it uh, is... I, I like that. It was a good way to end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what else... What else would they need to do after everything that they've been through? And that is just get some damn sleep, man. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a good book. I really enjoyed it. I um, part of me feels a little bit guilty because it's been a while since I've read the book. Um, whereas in our normal routine, we are uh, more familiar with the events um, as well as. I feel like while some of the chapters uh, were fairly easy to summarize, part of me feels a little bit guilty that we didn't, I guess, summarize each chapter and episode, even though it clearly wasn't needed because those episodes would maybe be five, 10 minutes long. So. Yeah, I, I think we definitely learned something. I mean, it was quite an accomplishment. I know you had mentioned this before. I mean, you know, we summarized a 400 and some page book and not even, well, my computer shows like 28 google document pages um but i think maybe we we kind of underestimated things maybe we should have maybe it would have been better to do this in three parts uh, instead of halves but we didn't know how much more i guess dense more i guess more discussion would be in the in the second half compared to the first right yeah yeah absolutely yeah i don't know i guess it just part of me feels like you know, uh, we did what we normally do and, you know, we broke it down and hopefully those who are, have read the book and are, have been following along. Thank you for sticking with us. And I hope that, I hope that we did it justice. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I think I, I agree with you though, for sure. It would have been maybe a little easier if we did this sooner to when we actually finished the book, but I mean, that's, that's life. Yeah. I'm glad we did it. It was a good time. I'm, I'm looking forward to Sunday 
and getting to talk to V uh, about the book itself. It, it should be a real treat for sure. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk to her as well. It'll be, it'll be a blast. Definitely. Well, anything else we want to throw in here? Um, I guess just the last thing that I want to say is I know chapter five is essentially the death of Jeanette Vasquez. And if you've made it to this episode, then you clearly not let that deter you. So I guess thank yourself for being open. And it, it really is a good book. I agree with you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it was definitely worth reading and, and it was a fun read. Just, I, I mean, I, I love this universe so much. I mean, I'd, I'd read anything, but this is, I think it was a worthwhile entry for sure into the, into this, the alien universe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well done V well done. Look forward to talking to you, but yeah, I guess, uh, I guess that means, uh, sin, right? The end, uh, I guess maybe, uh, maybe we'll do another patron shootout here shootout shout out <laughs> that is not what i meant <laughs> we just did read a bunch of bunch, bunch of shooting so i get it <laughs> <laughs> right so jan and uh luciana luciana uh i guess I, i'm not she hasn't had the opportunity to hear this yet and, and correct us uh for that but thank you to our two patrons at this point um love having you guys and uh, I love doing this with you, Justin. It's just a lot of fun every time we get to talk, whether it's about Malazan or whatever our, our side quest happens to be at that time. Yeah. Uh, ditto, dude. I couldn't imagine doing this with anybody else. And I appreciate our patron support. It really means a lot. 100%. Well, sir, I, uh, I bid you adieu and enjoy the rest of your night. You as well. We will talk soon. Later, man. Bye. Asshole Gorman!